I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Now, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of April 2021, and uh, last month was our March of the Monsters event month. Uh, so fittingly enough, just a few weeks after the fact, we are wrapping things up with a review of Godzilla vs. Kong uh, from 2021, directed by Adam Wingard, I believe. Uh, this is a HBO Max and a theaters si- simultaneous release, so I-, I guess I'd technically classify this as a theatrical edition yeah. in terms of our review criteria. Um, but yeah, this is one that basically I spent the whole past month building up to. So uh, in terms of movies I've been looking forward to for 2021, this is uh, either at or very near the top of my list as far as most anticipated. Uh, is that the case for you, Kyle? Uh, no, Antlers is my most anticipated for 2021. It was my most anticipated for fucking 2020. So <laughs> until that movie comes out, that's my most anticipated movie. <laughs> Yeah, uh, folks at home, if you're not aware, there's a uh, a little horror movie out there by the name of Antlers that uh, Kyle has been pestering me with like articles and and news updates regarding the release of this thing. Because as far as I know, it came out in like film festivals, maybe even in like 2019 or something. I think so. And Kyle just informed me before we started recording that it sounds like they're aiming for an October theatrical release in 2021. <laughs> so it didn't start out, you know, as your most anticipated for this year. But as it keeps continuing to get pushed back, I, I guess it's still there. <laughs> it better make my nose bleed. That's how awesome it needs to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been too long is the problem. It's just been sitting on a shelf collecting dust. And there's nothing worse than being aware of a movie or, or product of any sort and just having it be just out of reach. It's like, I know it's, it's right going to be I know it's going to be good. Just get, just hand it to me, please. <laughs> yeah, that's happened to me too many times in my life. And um, yeah, I, I certainly hope that it does come out in October. So you get to enjoy that. Uh, and then you get to tell me how good it is, uh, hopefully without you know bleeding out from the nostrils. So this was actually probably my third on my list of movies I was waiting for to come out for 2020. Uh, first is Antler, still waiting for it. Uh, second was Psycho Gorman. Uh, which was pretty okay. It wasn't too bad. I enjoyed it. I had fun with it. Uh, and it's pretty weird and kind of stupid, but all in all, I had a pretty good time with it. But yes, this was third on my list, and uh, I think this one paid out better than Psycho Gorman, honestly. Okay. Uh, well, we'll certainly get to the review, but uh, I guess I'll just share really quick. Um, uh, this was tied probably, uh, for me anyway, with the uh, Dodoni Kenshin movies. Um, it's a trilogy of films. I actually have a poster of one of them hanging yeah. up in my apartment as soon as you walk in. Originally, it was a trilogy of films um, based on the anime and the manga of the same name. And not too long ago, they announced that they were going to do two more films. And because uh, Japanese production companies are very kind to their audiences, uh, both of those movies are coming out within a few months of each other. Uh, so it's not like... A typical Hollywood blockbuster situation where you know you watch the two towers and then I'm you glad. wait a whole fucking year or whatever to get to the Return of the King. That was the longest time because when we went to see Lord of the, we saw all three of those movies at theaters. When we saw Fellowship, uh, we didn't know like we hadn't read the book, so we didn't know what it was. So at the end of that, we're like, "Wait, that was it? There's more? There's more of this?" And then you get to the two towers, you're like, "I cannot wait until Return of the King comes out." And if there is ever a movie that delivered so hard on its third installment, it was that movie. 
Oh yeah, especially in terms of like Oscar acclaim and stuff. Oh. But yeah, thankfully Kenshin, uh, they're just releasing. Uh, actually, one of them's a prequel, and then one of them's a finale for the entire series. So it'll be a series of five films. Uh, but they're coming out within a few months of each other in Japan. Uh, I think actually very soon, like this month. Is that common? Uh, that, um, I mean, they don't do that very often with their their film franchises. Nor do they make films of this scale or this budget very often. Um, but they actually did that for this series for for the second and the third film. Um, they did. They had a similar release schedule, and, and I think that's so kind to the audience because you know it, it makes it so you don't have to like rent the previous movie to like get a refresher before you see the third one they're not in it for the money they're in it to make the fans happy i appreciate that <laughs> i mean you would hope so but no they're definitely in it for the money. <laughs> but but the trailers for these these last two movies look fantastic but anyway this is neither here nor there we should probably get to godzilla versus kong yeah. so um as i said the entire month of march this year um was our event month titled March of the Monsters, wherein every week we are covering a film from the filmography of both Godzilla and King Kong. Uh, so we've had an entire month building up to this. And uh, Kyle, like, instead of giving a plot summary right out the gate, how about we just share our feelings? Like, what, what are your general feelings of Godzilla versus Kong ha- after having seen it? Um, it gave me exactly what I wanted, uh, which was just a fun... Like, fun little blockbuster movie where uh, we have monsters fighting. That's legit what I wanted. And I was a little nervous starting out in the movie. I'm like, are they going to deliver? I don't know how they're going to deliver. Because I'm like, honestly, you're like, how is this going to go? How is this going to play out? I have no idea how this is going to go. And they do an excellent job of doing it. Plot's a little silly, but that's that's beside the point. It's still a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I I would agree with you on most of those points. Um, actually, the the words that came to mind pretty much as soon as the credits started rolling, and there is no post credit scene for this film. I waited um, for it. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, actually, that was kind of funny because I I guess we me anyway. Uh, I know you're not as big a fan or as involved as I am, but uh, I've been away from Marvel films for long enough. I guess that I just did. It didn't even occur to me that I should mm. wait. Um, but I found out listening to like a podcast after the fact that there there is no post credit sequence. But um, yeah, as soon as the movie wrapped, uh, the words that came to mind were, um, "It's the least ambitious of the MonsterVerse movies of the legendary uh, Godzilla slash Kong films that we've had so far." Um, but in a lot of ways, it's the most efficient and the most straightforward. And like you said, it gave you what you wanted. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the film's biggest strength is that instead of being bogged down with details, it just kind of gets to the goods and delivers. Like you're never disappointed when it comes to that element of it. So um, definitely a step back uh, in terms of uh, aesthetics and creativity. Um, and not to say that it's not a handsome film, it absolutely is, but in terms of like camera placement and uh, color scheme in particular, um, they they certainly have an aesthetic where like neon is the name of the game for this film. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the images that they put on the screen, um, I feel like the storyboarding process was a little bit more utilitarian, where it was more like we we got to move the action from point A to point B. How do we do that? Mm-hmm. Whereas like the previous film, Godzilla King of the Monsters, was more. Uh, kind of fixated on like a sense of scale and grandeur of like like actually i think you said it on a review of that film that uh this entire movie is about uh entrances 
and like posing we're <laughs> like, like like most of the monster action consists of people like monsters making grand entrances and like having the music swell and having the lighting be like pitch perfect where it's like almost like a poster shot or something mm-hmm. um but then when it gets to the actual action element of things it's kind of like haphazard but this movie didn't even really have that it was just like monster shows up shit gets wrecked yeah. <laughs> it's like we we got to go <laughs> there's a bit more urgency in this movie it feels like yes. like we, we have a, a bit more we need to take care of yeah no I, I think that's very accurate but um like i said this movie is directed by adam wingard um and i think part of what makes these monster verse films uh, so interesting and i will say right up front that uh this, this monster verse is kind of quietly becoming one of the better film franchises we have these days in terms of like <laughs> really is, films. Yeah. yeah honestly um and a part of that i think is just because it's simultaneously very cohesive and very not um which is a tough thing to do because the, the marvel movies famously have kevin feige um as like the the puppet master that kind of the 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 head executive producer who's wrangling the entire the entire marvel mcu um, whereas the MonsterVerse films all have different directors, and as I just described, as, like comparing King of the Monsters with Godzilla vs. Kong, from an aesthetic standpoint and uh, just in terms of storytelling principles and whatnot, each and every mo- one of these movies has been very, very different, and yet they still feel connected to yeah. each other well enough that it doesn't feel like it, com- it, like it came out of left field and is doing something completely different, and yet they're still very clear palpable differences between each of them that's actually very impressive that they're able to do that um but yeah this is the only one that this fella has directed i think michael doherty did the previous one and then gareth edwards i think did godzilla 2014 (laughs) yeah um but yeah i think it's very interesting that we've had a different director each and every at bat including kong school island um and in fact different composers but we'll we'll get to that later but um, Kyle, do you want to try to give us a a plot summary from for Godzilla vs Kong? I mean, you literally could just say Godzilla vs Kong. It's like lizard versus monkey. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I the plot. I actually don't know how to do a plot summary because it's it's a uh, King Kong uh, is taken from his uh, captivity to try to draw. Godzilla down to the hollow earth, I think is Not the quite. plot. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> do you want to do it? Because I'm like, I'm blanking here. I'm like, what is the plot of the movie? <laughs> well, it is it is very focused on the monster's perspective of things. Um, but basically it's um, something is causing Godzilla to lash out at humanity. Okay. Um, and so humanity is looking for a solution to that because Godzilla is obviously a bigger problem than we can handle, um, and we didn't expect to be having to handle it. Uh, so it's a plan is devised to utilize Kong um, as a guide to the Hollow Earth, which has been established in previous films, um, where there are some sort of materials that contain energy sources beyond that of human understanding, which will allow us to construct weapons to fight Godzilla. Merry mishaps ensue. <laughs> yeah, you can't. Uh, we should say at the top. I'm gonna poke fun at some of the uh, some of the logic of the film, but it's it's unfair because 
I think it's so stupid that you're supposed to just turn your brain off. It's like, don't don't worry about it. Just let it happen. <laughs> yeah, it, it is definitely that kind of movie. Um, and in fact, it, it shows in the editing sometimes so badly that um, there were some times when I had to squint at the movie and I was like, hang on, why is that here? Like, or, or hang on, why did you bother? Like, like, why didn't you just completely cut that out? So Kong's lineage can build stairs use tools and battle each other in the hollow earth and they're all dead like uh guys this isn't adding up here <laughs> okay so folks um because this is a theatrical edition review um we're we're going to talk about this film in a slightly non-traditional fashion normally we we go beat for beat we go front to back with it's them. a jackson this pollock this week <laughs> <laughs> yeah this one's gonna be kind of all over the place so try to bear with us but you mentioned the hollow earth and uh before we started recording you were actually questioning if this if this was an element of previous films and i you know all i had to do is say a couple words and you're like oh yeah right oh right 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 (laughs) (laughs) yeah so the the hollow earth um funny enough uh in the in our most recent rewatch of godzilla 1954 uh surprisingly enough it totally flew by me until this most recent rewatch but that was actually mentioned in the script for that original japanese film from the 50s was that in the first presentation like the very first presentation they start talking about godzilla i it may have been in the second but okay. either way it was it pretty was early yeah during during the professor's presentation to the japanese government like hey so there are these pockets in something i like to call the hollow earth where creatures may exist that we're not aware of yeah and our h-bomb testing may have you know done some geological damage or something and caused them to break free so it was actually mentioned in that original film it's such an obscure like deep cut that i don't think anyone like who wasn't obsessively combing through that film would have picked up on but Mm -hmm. uh, beyond that um in godzilla king of the monsters it's actually a pretty important plot point um, it's actually brought up several times, and in fact, we kind of like skim the surface of the Hollow Earth uh, in the form of that temple where Godzilla takes refuge um, to like recharge his batteries. Essentially, um, it's where Doctor Ken Ken Watanabe uh, blows blows him up with a nuclear bomb to bring him back <laughs> to, is to make him better. <laughs> is he doing the thousand yard stare with his mouth open at that point, or is he actually doing something? I mean, most of the time he's doing the thousand yard stare, but he he does have a couple of lines of dialogue before he gets before he blows himself up uh, okay. for humanity. Okay. Um, but yeah, the point is, yes, it was an element of previous MonsterVerse films. But um, I I think it's like a good time to probably just explore all of that because that was a kind of a key sequence in this film where we actually go there and we actually spend a decent chunk of screen time there. Um, Kyle, do you have any like initial thoughts uh, regarding the Hall Earth sequences? Uh, it, it's. <laughs> I thought it was. <laughs> um, I think it's fun. I think it was a fun idea. Uh, it makes no sense. Uh, first of all, the amount of money that has been put into first Mecha Godzilla, Mecha Godzilla, however much money they were pumping into that project is insane. But the actual tunnel that they have to get to the wormhole or whatever the fuck they use to to get there, this is like Mines of Moria fucking epic. Like it is in like billions upon trillions of dollars to build this just thing for King Kong to swing through to get to this. 
they get through no problem. Uh, and I, I like the design. I think it's a fun design. It's kind of cool. It looks like Elysium, uh, where it's like we have two mountain ranges and they're like just parallel to each other. It's like a, it's like an oval shaped little hole in the earth. But yeah, it's it's pretty silly. And I think it was pretty careless for the mom to bring her daughter down to there. Yeah, that was a little questionable. <laughs> but I, I like that the the way they get transported there. I mean, they, they actually do a pretty good job of building up, like, what the experience of going through that portal is going to be like. Mm-hmm. Where it's like and, and we also have that plot detail of, uh, by the way, Alexander Skarsgård, I think, got top billing in this film. Not entirely sure why. Um, Rebecca Hall probably should have. Yeah. Um, in terms of like screen presence and in terms of contributions to the story, um, there there has to be like a law or something that every movie has to have a Skarsgård or and and or a Gleason in it. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, the Skarsgård like uh, uh, what's the fucking dad or the oldest? Is he the dad or the oldest brother? I don't even know. I, I don't even know what they are. I would imagine it's the dad, Stellan. Stellan. Yeah, Stellan. Uh, he did the the the. Oh god damn it! The Pirates of the Caribbean movies. The the youngest one does the It movies. It was what does uh, Peter do? He's just handsome in movies. Like he doesn't have to have a trilogy or any kind of franchise. They just put him in stuff. Yeah, they're. I mean, Stellan's my guy. Like I, I actually yeah. have no impression of Alexander whatsoever. I do know that he did that Tarzan movie a while back. I, see, I've never seen him put in like a good movie. Like I don't know what good movie he's. I, he might be in Melancholia. I think that might be his. He worked with Von Trier, so I think that was his one. He did something right if he was selected by Von Trier, or um, or nepotism, <laughs> or nepotism. <laughs> I think it's I think it's nepotism. Yeah, he worked with his dad. May as well work with the yeah. son. But um, yeah, he he is our doctor Nathan Lind, who basically he's the only reason he's roped into this mission is because he is apparently an expert on Hollow Earth, a place in which no human has ever been. So yeah. I don't know how much of an expert that makes you, but. Uh, we do get some exposition earlier in the film saying that his brother was killed trying to breach the same portal. And I guess it's because of uh, gravity inverting. So basically you get the weight of the planet slamming down on you and it just crushes you into atoms instantly. Um, and knowing that when we're heading into the portal, it does give something. It does lend to some drama there. And then the the special effects there are very intentionally reminiscent of like 2001, um, although not clearly not done using the same technology but it's still impressive and yeah. the sound the sound editing there was very effective it was one of those sequences that's like man wish i could have seen this on the big screen right the big speakers what probably would have made it a lot more fun but it would have um the look of the hollow earth was very uh reminiscent of like pandora from the avatar film um with like you know the mountain range facing upside down like in the sky and stuff and like gravity's kind of bonkers it it reverses and and inverses like all all over the place but i fell asleep in avatar i never went back to watch it again yeah i mean you had your shot kyle there's really no reason to go back to it (laughs) and it was in the imax theater so i wasted oh my god you paid that ticket price and you fell asleep jesus out like a log just (laughs) (laughs) well yeah, I mean, Avatar still has a long legacy when it comes to uh, Hollywood film productions where it's like you, when you're making a film of a certain scale, I think it's impossible to ignore the numbers that Avatar put up where it's like, mm, you know, maybe it wouldn't be the worst idea to borrow some shit from James Cameron. He does seem to know what he's doing. He does. To, to selling yeah. a fucking product. 
Uh, so it doesn't surprise me that, you know, we have a, a very Avatar-like sequence in here. Um, um, that's actually not a knock on the film. I actually quite liked the look of the Hollow Earth in this film. But more than that, um, and maybe a little bit similar to Avatar in terms of presentation, what really impressed me with that sequence, and I think it's uh, a credit to the director and the production on the whole, was the the lack of dialogue during the sequence, mm-hmm. the lack of exposition. Um because that would be totally extraneous. It wouldn't add anything to have people telling me about what we're looking at. It's like, dude, I got eyes. Like, I, I can see it. I, I can kind of figure shit out just by looking at it. And thankfully, they keep the dialogue to a minimum in the sequence and indeed throughout most of the movie, um, which for international sales purposes is probably very useful to the production to just keep things simple and keep things strictly like primal, visceral, you know, visual for the most part. Yeah, it's it is a lot of fun, but I mean, it, for kids, it's this is. I mean, I think that this is probably the one that's most for kids because this is yeah, the most fun definitely, one. Definitely. So you can't bring your adult logic into it. Uh, but I have a few questions. Uh, again, who built the stairs? When did they learn how to use tools? Why can Kong? Oh, I mean, how does Kong just figure out how to use tools immediately? Um, and then my biggest question: What is the light source in the Hollow Earth? Because there appears to be a sun. But I don't think that's the sun. Yeah, I mean, we are in a subterranean environment. Uh, We do appear to have mountains in the sky obscuring whatever light may be coming down from whatever source we have of which we can't identify any. So that is a a glaring problem with the the science here, but not one that I can possibly answer. But yeah, yeah, we... During this sequence... um, And by the way, I did notice that... um, And this is an example of of what happens when you have a different director at the helm for each and every film in your franchise. Um, I remember in Kong School Island, who, by the way, Toby Kebbell did the uh, performance capture for Kong in that film. Uh, He's also in the film, but I generally don't care much for him as an actor, but I will say the man man can move, apparently, because his performance as Koba in those uh, Planet of the Apes films and uh, his performance as Kong in Skull Island, I quite like um, rock from ro- a physical standpoint. Rock and Rolla? Yes, okay. rock and Rolla. <laughs> um, I don't know if he came back for this film, uh, but what I was getting at was that in Kong Skull Island, I, I do know that a conscious decision was made to have him uh, have the posture more of a human and to be, on, to be bipedal most of the yeah. time, uh, to be walking upright most of the time. Um, in this film, actually, we get to see Kong um, moving like a traditional gorilla, like walking on his knuckles and running on his knuckles. Um, I want to say that may have been a conscious decision to create more empathy for the character, where you see him as a, an ape, um, and it creates it creates a sense of like, oh, he's he's an animal, like he 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 doesn't have that like shoulders back like proud posture of a human being. He he's moving like you would see an animal in the wild move. Um, but anyway, yeah, he does. He has like a Castle Grayskull in the mm-hmm. Hollow Earth, which opens via Batman handprint. Uh, he has fingerprint identification in the Hollow Earth. But yeah, what Kyle's describing here, he has a big old temple with a throne. Where I was half expecting him to do the King Lear thing with the yeah. the like chin on the knuckles pose. Um, and yeah, there's a staircase leading up to this giant throne. And by the way, all of this is proportioned to Kong. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I. Who do you think's dumber, the characters in this movie or the characters in Alien Covenant? Because I mean, we're 
it's pretty close. You, you're in the hollow earth. Okay. You get out of your spaceship. No, like <laughs> absolutely not. Do you have, you know, look at the shit. Like they already saw, like, did they already see the lizard things that he had to fight? Yes. Yeah. In fact, they helped him fight them. Yeah. No, do not get out of that. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, no. And anytime I see anyone take their helmet off in any space movie, I don't care what your readout on your little PDA thing on your wristband says. No, that helmet stays on. That's what we learned in Alien Covenant. It doesn't matter uh, if you take your helmet off. Uh, The alien will find a way. You'll snort it. That's actually a funny connection to this movie. Demian Bashir is in that. He's in Alien Covenant. Mm -hmm. He's the fellow that gets the acid on his Ah. face towards the end. I like him. Um, yeah, everybody likes Damien Bashir. He's he's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, he's he's uh, you know uh, like messing with his little mustache in this movie. As the oh blade. yeah, he he is twirling his mustache yeah. quite thoroughly throughout this entire film, and you can tell he's having fun with it. I feel but... like he could, uh, what's the oh gosh, he's in Capote. I can't think of his name. Um, sorry, I have to look him up. Go ahead. Okay, well, um, yeah, in this temple, what Kyle was getting at here is that every it's a constructed temple with, with steps and a throne, and there's an axe in there, which is constructed of some sort of giant bone, and apparently one of Godzilla's, or at least Godzilla's species, uh, uh, dorsal spines. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know who was supposed to have constructed this. In In King of the Monsters, I seem to remember some throwaway bits of dialogue saying that in, well, actually, Ken Watanabe reiterated this several times in that movie, that um, in ancient times, humanity worshipped the Titans. And by the way, that that's their buzzword for uh, for the giant monsters in the MonsterVerse movies is Titans. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet they're kind of pissed at Guillermo del Toro because he took the word kaiju <laughs> for <laughs> Pacific Rim. So they had to use something. It's the same production company, Legendary. But I just think it's funny that he beat them to it so they have to use a different one so there's his titans but yeah there's a lot of uh lip service paid to yeah humanity used to worship the titans so presumably humans built this temple but good god this temple is like a, over a thousand feet tall and that's just in the doorway mm-hmm. um i don't really know how one would do that but or maybe maybe kong's folks or his family were were very smart by ape standards and knew how to build shit or something i don't know i feel like they just committed to you're gonna have questions and we're not gonna answer them yeah just watch the monsters fight that's actually kind of the beauty of this film and i i said this before we uh we started recording that i feel like a lot of the editing decisions made for this film um were biased towards making a streamlined approachable entertaining film as opposed to making a depthful one Mm-mm. um so a lot of character stuff was cut out i i think it's very telling that lance reddick who has worked with adam wingard in the past i think he's in that film the guest with him um he is in the front credits for this film but he has exactly one line and is in maybe two shots. And not only that, when this film was in production, I remember distinctly that Jessica Henwick uh, was advertised as being one of the one of the people in it. And I remember being like, oh, I kind of like her. I'd be interested to see, to see what they do with her. She's not in the film. Um, however, I do know that she did apparently, she was apparently cast in the film at some point, as was Zhang Ziyi. Uh, so a lot of shit got cut out of this film. And there's one character in particular that we'll get to who is very, very obviously shortchanged um, in terms of the final edit of, of the film. Because their presence in the film is 
as the film currently exists and will continue ex- to exist as because uh, as far as I understand, the director re- released the film that he wanted to release. This is not going to be a release the wind guard cut situation. <laughs> um, this character got completely shafted and it's actually more puzzling that they're still here um, as the film currently exists. But um, yeah, I actually had a question for you about this temple here and, and we'll, we'll get out of the hollow earth in just a second, folks. Like, sorry to bog us down so early, but um, the question I had for you was that there um, as Kyle had said, this film poses a lot of questions and puts out a lot of interesting potential story threads, and it, it makes no effort to answer any of the questions you might have because it, it knows what kind of movie it is, and it's in the movie's best interest to just keep on fucking moving, mm-hmm. keep on trucking. Uh, so the question I had for you, Kyle, um, was when we're in this throne room, uh, Kong picks up this axe, and then he lets out a big old bellow, uh, so... I don't know what that's supposed to signify other than him being like, I has axe, yeah. <laughs> but when he sits on the throne and uh, he places the axe back on the floor, like in, in some sort of divot in the hole that's shaped like the axe, yeah. um, there is a symbol, a glowing symbol that, that appears on the floor around the throne, and it looks suspiciously like Godzilla. Like it has the same blue... Uh, like ethereal blue glow that Godzilla has when he's charging his fire breath and the symbol on the floor surrounding the throne is shaped like him. Uh, Did you have any guess as to what that could mean? Because the movie certainly doesn't try to tell us. Uh, What I'm guessing is they are ancient adversaries and Godzilla is supposed to be in the hollow earth as well. That's really... it leads me to believe that humans were down in there. Like, you kind of have to. You kind of have to assume that humans were down there at some point. Yeah, I, I couldn't say about the human thing. I mean, that, that jives with what was said in King of the Monsters, that humans used to worship them and therefore probably built a temple for them. Certainly the temple that Godzilla sought refuge in in that film, uh, it's pretty much explicitly stated that that was probably crafted by humans. Um my guess actually was that um, so there's the throne where Kong seems very he seems very appropriate being perched on that throne and he seems very comfortable there it seems familiar in some way then you have this glowing symbol of Godzilla surrounding it my my theory is that Godzilla is meant to be on the surface and Kong is meant to be in the hollow earth they, they are both kings of their respective domains possibly so, I mean big dragon thing encircling the throne he's in the center of it much like you'd be in the center of the earth it's just a guess i mean (laughs) i I don't know nobody knows as far as i know well then i guess the follow-up would be uh godzilla figures out that he is in the hollow earth and he just blasts a hole down to hell (laughs) to get to him (laughs) so he has to know what the hollow earth is yes so maybe yeah, that, that is possible that they just like they fought it out, and he's like, "All right, I'm gonna go up to Earth. I'm like, I'm gonna go swim or something." But maybe that's what it is. Maybe uh, was there a water source down in there? Because I mean, that was what the first that's what the first Godzilla movie was implying was that we we dug so deep that we you know hit the hollow earth. We freed him. Yeah. So it is possible that they both lived down there. Godzilla went swimming, figured out she can get out, and then went up to uh, went up to. A top side, I guess, is what you call it. Yeah, Godzilla went to Kong's house party and was like, fuck you, I'm going to make my own party. Yeah. <laughs> and he went down the block and he said, my party's up here. 
What? He, he got <laughs> he got punked at a high school pool party, and he's just like, fuck it, I'm going to go, and he just swam off. Yeah. I'm going to do like Dave Bautista. I'm going to hit the weights. <laughs> I'm going to get real big, and then you're not going to fuck with me no more. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, that's my guess, because everything about the construction of Skull Island suggests that it was like pushed up, out, much like a volcano or something. It was like pushed up out of the hollow earth, because mm-hmm. like all the creatures that live there are you know titan like creatures are all larger than life so my guess is like kong maybe got accidentally ousted from from the hollow earth maybe godzilla same situation um but either way they don't they don't like each other (laughs) and they're not they're not meant to be on the same block like they 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 need to be in different neighborhoods yeah they're not friends no they are not friendly with one another but um, anyway, that that's probably enough Hollow Earth talk. That's yeah, probably more than there. enough Hollow Earth talk. Yeah. So let, let's let's back to the beginning. Um, so the movie, uh, by the way, our our principal cast. Um, Kyle has been very vocal in, in like texting me and whatnot. That uh, you can just kind of give or take like the majority. Just, <laughs> yeah, the majority of the human people in this film, of which there are surprisingly many. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we like the the amount of people we have are supposed to be the different threads. Like we have two, two I guess two stories going on at the same time. I suppose we have, uh, oh, what's her name? The town, Rebecca Hall. Yes, got it. We have Rebecca Hall and her daughter, and then we have uh, Skarsgård who teams up with them, and then we've got rich billionaire, rich rich trillionaire. I think Damien Bashir. Damien Bashir. Oh, Clifton Collins Jr. I think that he. They think that could be his dad. Like they look like they could be uh, siblings, or at least some kind of, uh, or some kind of family. <laughs> Damien Bashir is much, several times more handsome. Yes, than Clifton very Collins. much. Oh yeah, it's his. It's his ugly son, but don't, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it's his ugly son with something to prove, so he yeah. would actually fit in very well in this script. Yeah, um, yeah. It, you've got the the billionaire, and then off doing like. Like we don't even need him in the movie. You've got Stranger Things, Girl, Eleven, <laughs> Billy uh, Bobby Brown, uh, Billy Bobby Joe, um, <laughs> and you've got the kid from New Zealand, whatever his Julian name. Julian Dennison. There we go. I've got to learn his name. I like that kid. Um, and then this dude. I think he's from If Beale Street Could Talk. I I haven't seen him in anything. Uh, Brian Tyree Henry. Henry. Yeah. I yeah, I haven't seen him in anything. Um, so I have no idea who this dude is, but yeah, you have these three and they're just like doing, they, their, their story adds nothing to this. I, unfortunately I kind of agree. Um, and to make matters worse, uh, I didn't know when this was going to come up, but from, for me personally, I got almost like a little bit of an Ant-Man vibe, um, from their scenes in particular where uh, bear with me. Um, it's not a, it's not a one-to-one connection, but what I mean by that is something that irked me about that first Ant-Man movie in particular, not that I'm terribly fond of the second one, uh, is that I I noticed a distinct difference in energy between the dialogue scenes and the special effects scenes. Where in the first Ant-Man movie, I felt like the way it was shot, like all the dialogue scenes is very flat, just kind of like by the book shit. Like there's not a whole lot of creativity in where they're placing the camera or how they're doing their lighting which is kind of a staple of Marvel movies, but this one, it was to an extraordinary degree where it's like, are we just going to do this for every dialogue scene? Like, we're not going to move the camera. We're not going to really put a stamp on anything. But then you get to the special effects scenes in that movie, and it's like like kind of next level 
interesting cinematography and interesting angles, interesting colors, interesting lighting. Um, and I kind of got that vibe from Minnie Bopper Brown, like all of her scenes, like the Scooby Squad. Uh, I want to call them the pro Godzilla squad because mm-hmm. I think that's what they were trying to do with the, the human characters is we have a pro Kong squad and we have a pro Godzilla squad. Um, never shall they meet. Um, and yeah, every time we were stuck with the pro Godzilla squad with Millie Bobby Brown and uh, her Scooby squad, uh, everything just it feels very flat and very by the book. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I, this is very utilitarian stuff. This is strictly to give us an excuse um, to have insight into important plot details that we really can't think of a way to relay better than just having a character uh, do a Luke, Luke Skywalker on the Death Star thing and just like find a way into places they really have no places being. <laughs> How they get to China is incredible. Uh, <laughs> that That is a... a trillions upon trillions of dollars that they put into that uh that idea but i like i remember pacific rim and charlie day was actually kind of a big part of uh a big part of like i i i know what you mean where you're balancing we have these huge cgi moments where humans aren't really talking and then you have those moments where people are talking i remember pacific rim being pretty good about that like it was a pretty good balance yeah um I don't know if I should get into this now, but fuck it. Um, <laughs> uh, so when I use the uh, the term un- like less ambitious or unambitious, this film is not unambitious. Um, but what I mean by that, like less ambitious than the the way Godzilla King of the Monsters, or actually to a, a greater degree uh, Godzilla twenty fourteen were, um, the way this movie shoots its its Titan sequences, the way the monster action is handled. One thing that was a very, very common complaint um, for most people um, regarding Godzilla King of the Monsters was, I don't care about the human characters. Neither do I, um, but I'm a lifelong Godzilla fan, so I'll take what I can get. Um, But one thing I will credit that movie with is that even though I didn't really care about the human characters, the director and the production took it upon themselves to find a way to integrate the human action with the monster action at all like every chance they could which is a little absurd it, it it does get a little bit annoying because it deprives you of like those really glamorous really fun camera angles for like action choreography where you don't get like traditional like like action shots like like this movie is shot very kind of conventionally when it comes to the monster action where it's almost like done by the hong kong standard of like if i can't see them from the waist up then it's probably wrong like, I'm not getting the most out of the action that I could from the, that particular punch or something. Whereas Godzilla King of the Monsters, a lot of the monster action is shot from, like, an ant's perspective. And from a logistical standpoint, it's probably a nightmare to choreograph those sequences. Uh, because you're having to, like, shoot plate shots and then relay those to the animators. And then they're having to take take into account, like, all the actors in the foreground for, like, lighting purposes and stuff like that choreographing and constructing all that stuff is probably much more difficult um but it's it's basically an earnest attempt to integrate the human drama with the monster drama whereas this one keeps things mostly at a distance and just jumps back and forth between the two um i don't know if i prefer one or the other but for the purposes of this film and the story it's trying to tell i think they made the right choice 
because it, it's not complicated. It's just like when the monsters are fighting, we just get to see the fucking monsters fight. <laughs> How quickly did you figure out, spoiler alert, that the deaf girl was going to communicate with Kong? Oh, instantly. In, like, <laughs> immediately, as soon as I figured out that she was deaf, I'm like, she is going to sign with that monster. Like, it is going to happen. Uh, I which I don't mind. I I thought it's it's an interesting like it's creative. Like I like that. That's that's a good way to like a good way to communicate with uh with the monster. I'm like yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, uh, I I made that call like the moment this movie was announced, and it's not because I'm smart. It's just because I I know how this shit works. I've seen. I've read enough comic books in my day to know that <laughs> generally if you have two hero characters and a verses in between their names on the title of your film, there's going to be a third party that they both have to punch. Um, and not only that, like my guess when they first announced the film was that, oh, they're going to ask me to sympathize with, with the ape. And, and why is that? It's like, well, when you look at the construction of their faces, like, it's an ape's face. It, it much more clearly matches that of a human being. In general, I think people have a much more empathetic response to it's a mammal. Ape. Yeah, it's a mammal. Yeah, to a, a mammal and, and or an ape rather than a fucking lizard. Yeah, no. <laughs> have you felt so, any? Have you felt anything towards a fucking like kimono dragon? <laughs> like, like I don't, I don't give a shit about him. Hey, that was like one of my favorite animals when I was a kid. And yeah. did you see that that fucking video that went viral the other day of the monitor lizard in Thailand in the Seven Eleven? Yeah, it's fucking awesome. That's fucking terrifying. <laughs> it is terrifying, but it's also kind of fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I. I expected that and sure enough that turned out to be true and it again it's not because i'm smart or anything it's just like yeah well, it's pretty obvious you can figure like you can see it coming um well and also one breathes fire and the other one doesn't <laughs> so one is going to be portrayed as an underdog and americans in particular really love underdogs now i i do have one complaint that i think is warranted there is one scene in this movie that i was like uh-uh i even rewound it to be like just to make sure i didn't see it wrong I went back and I double-checked it. I'm like, this would not happen at all. We are in high seas. Not high seas, but we. it is raining like a motherfucker on this boat at one point. And this little girl is sleeping in her room on this boat. She gets up from her bed, walks over to an open door, and to an open hatch that goes to outside. Absolutely not. Not even, not even <laughs> close. One, she wouldn't be on that level. They would have her tucked away somewhere in a safer place. Not a fucking sneeze away from a sleeping monster. Two, that door would not be open. I thought it was a dream at first. I was like, oh, she's dreaming and she's walking outside. That is one of the craziest things I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, uh, Kyle is an experienced seaman, so he he knows how this shit works. Kind of. <laughs> Better than most, anyway. Um, but yeah, talking about the girl, um, Kaylee Hoddle is her name, uh, the, the gal that played Gia, um, who, by the way, I thought that was very curious. There's there's a lot of shit that happens in between this film and uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters. Uh, so what I was led to believe from the opening credits, and I'm, I could be wrong, this could be something that gets retconned if... And that's a big if, if they decide to continue this franchise. The opening credits uh, showed a lot of profiles of monsters and then used, like, drew a red X over them and used the word defeated on top of their portrait, much like in, like, a fighting game or something. And then we end with Godzilla and Kong next to each other and then the titles. What I was led to believe from that is that, un unlike what I expected from the end of 
of the previous film king of the monsters like the last shot of that movie is godzilla roaring and all the monsters around him like bowing so it's like okay he's the king he he directs traffic at this point um what i expected before the before the film started was that godzilla was going to like have dominion over the monsters and everything would be kind of chill which is like godzilla doesn't have beef therefore all the other monsters keep their cool um but no the opening credits made it seem like he fucking wrecked all of their shit like he killed all of them um again that could be something that i just misinterpreted but um another thing that happened off screen that is actually mentioned but only in dialogue is that uh, Gia is from the same tribe of people uh, on Skull Island from Kong Skull Island. So, oh. um, so the tri- the tribe of people that we see in that film uh, apparently were wiped out in some sort of tropical storm. Uh, so I'm guessing like the fog bank around the island like enclosed on the island or something. And sh- apparently she's the last one. So is she adopted? Yes. Oh. Yeah, so that. her the all of those people, like the people that saved John C. Riley and stuff and that worship Kong, they're all dead. It's just her. And I was like, that's fucking grim. Jeez. Shout out to uh casting these movies. Uh Juliette Binoche in Godzilla, Vera Farmiga in King of the Monsters, and then oh, what's her name? I already forgot it again. Rebecca Hall. Rebecca Hall in this one. I, I like all three of them, and I'm like, yeah, it's nice. I wish they had more Juliette Binoche in the first one, but hey. I yeah, think she I, did. She did her part in that movie. She did her part. She did her uh, part. For sure. You you feel things mm-hmm. in those opening minutes. That's exactly and, uh, what I needed. I really like Rebecca Hall. I've mm-hmm. actually been meaning to look more into her filmography because I, I I really like her and um I funny enough much like you I forget her name a lot for some reason Sorry. I always think it's of so Rebecca forgettable. Black. <laughs> it's so forgettable. <laughs> now, I always think of Rebecca Black, which I'm always reminded is the Friday girl. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I've actually been corrected once or twice, but I really like her. And in fact, like she, this is kind of a thankless role, but she still shows up for it. Yeah. Uh, she has to sign most of her lines, and thankfully she has a very expressive face. Mm-hmm. Um, so she does the sign language, mostly mute, um, but she sells quite a bit of the dialogue with her face. And, and the relationship between her and the little girl, Gia, is... It feels pretty genuine, and I think it's fascinating that Rebecca Hall apparently like just became a mom before they started production. So oh, nice. She was probably like, she already had her training wheels on for this role, yeah. <laughs> like getting used to dealing with babies and stuff. Um, but yeah, they're part of the uh, the pro Kong camp, which also includes Alexander Skarsgård. But um, yeah, the opening sequence of this film, like we're introduced I was to Kong. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't nervous, but we are introduced to Kong, and we get a couple of needle drops in the form of some songs that, at first, like, anytime I hear licensed music in this kind of movie, I get real nervous, because mm-hmm. um, it's like, I'm not a big fan of that, In again, in these kinds of movies, like, like in a comic book action movie, for instance, if, I, if I'm watching Iron Man fly around, you know, ACDC I like, but not when no. it's a comic book movie, <laughs> like, that makes me feel kind of weird, but... In this one, I think it was actually the director nodding uh, to, I think it's Jordan uh, Vaught Roberts. I could be mixing up the, the order of those names, but that was the director of Kong School Island. Mm. Uh, that movie did have a lot of licensed music in it. Um, so it's fitting that from a stylistic standpoint, they would continue that thread of like, oh, Kong is associated with tropical islands and needle drops, uh, licensed music and stuff. But 
we get introduced to him and immediately we get like empathy points with him because we get mm-hmm. to see him scratch his butt and yawn and stuff. Yeah. And, and we do see that he has a connection with the girl. Um, and I really like the, uh, the filmmaking here where, uh, it's never explicitly stated that she's deaf, but all, all, all you have to do is drop out the sound and zoom in on her ear. Yeah. And instantly the viewer knows, Oh, she's fucking deaf. I like how they, <laughs> I like how they do it. It's pretty simple. Um, it's it's so simple like it's so simple to the point that i'm surprised you don't see it more often yeah um yeah i i wasn't sure like who like which side are we supposed to take in this movie and then this opening scene i'm like oh uh is this gonna be goofy and then i was like oh no they want we're supposed to be with kong on this from what i could yeah like from the beginning i mean he yawns and he scratches his butt it's like any any monster I see scratches butt. I'm, he, it's he's a puppy. <laughs> I, I was thinking it was gonna be like George of the Jungle. I'm like, is this gonna be silly? Is, is he gonna do like silly stuff in here? Please don't. I thought Kong, it was gonna... hungry. Kong hungry. <laughs> that... Tickle me. Amy, Tickle good me. Gorilla. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tickle me. Have you Bad se- gorillas. Have you Bad s- gorillas. Have you seen uh, dogs now have like a? It's like a mat. And it's got these different buttons that uh that says stuff and they're like outside outside <laughs> what they're, seriously they're, they're teaching dogs to talk and we joke because we have a, a border collie and she loves playing tennis ball we joke that if we were to get it for her, it would just be ball 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 <laughs> just yeah all day. And, you know five minutes later you disconnect the speaker yeah <laughs> <laughs> if, you haven't, if you haven't found any videos it's really cute um squirrel Squirrel. <laughs> yeah, but okay, so they have. Uh, we can't go through this shot for shot. Beat no, for beat. we're not going to. But, but I do want to, like, the fucking. They have him in a Truman Show stadium. Like, they he, do. He's. Uh, Kong is confined uh, to Isla, Sor- Isla Sorna, I think. Because <laughs> I'm like, where the fuck is this island? Uh, and he just, like, he's just kind of, like, just picks up a tree, shaves off the sides, and just chucks it into the fucking stadium wall to tell us that he's in the stadium, which I don't understand. Uh, his aggression doesn't really come up as far as his interaction with humans, and you could have just Truman Show pulled out and showed us that he was in a big a big containment. I don't understand what the point of that was. Also, this thing to... costs so much money. Again, I mean, remember, money. he he's supposed to be like 400 feet tall. Yeah, he's pretty big. And the ceiling of this is way beyond his grasp. Yeah, no. So do the math. <laughs> this thing is like, this enormous. is this is a couple of cowboy stadiums, yeah, uh, to say the least. Um, but yeah, it's it, it totally is like a, a Truman Show enclosure. Um, it's it's a monarch site, and monarch is one of those buzzwords that um, if you've watched any of the previous films, that's basically the connecting thread. Honestly, uh, is that we have this super duper organization with unlimited resources. <laughs> Uh, that's been tracking the movements of these monsters and and in and in fact like keeping them in captivity over the years until king of the monsters were all hell broke loose but um what the reason i think we have this um him using a tree as a javelin to puncture a hole in the ceiling of of his enclosure use of tools is that one using tools um two sign of intelligence shows that he's smart enough to know that something's up okay and uh three uh, to give more incentive to unleash him where it's like he's already fi- he, the jig is up he already knows that we're fucking with him and it's only a matter of time before he finds a, a way to make things troublesome for all of us um, i'm having trouble i'm having trouble um <laughs> so the 
We cannot give Kyle Chandler a movie. Like, we refuse to let him lead a movie. It's never going to happen, man. You are always going to be just a side character. His roles are getting smaller and smaller. (laughs) Honestly, (laughs) like, from Wolf of Wall Street, like, he's got a decent decent role in there. And then that Super 8, I think is what it is. Like, he's barely in that. And then this movie, I mean, like, blink and you miss him, honestly. Yeah, I I don't know what his place in Hollywood is. Um, I feel like he has the like I feel like his use in uh, Peter Jack Peter Jackson's uh, King Kong was was actually a good use of your Kyle Chandler. He looks like somebody from that time. Exactly, he yeah. looks like an old fashioned Hollywood type, um, and he he actually does have enough acting muscles that he he can make fun of himself, and he does that pretty well in that movie. Although his role is fairly small. Um, but yeah, he is in a handful of shots in this. Um, he and Lance Reddick share the screen for both of Lance Reddick's shots in this entire <laughs> film. Um, but yeah, Kyle Chandler is his placement in the film is very strange as well because um, Millie Bobby Brown gets quite a bit of screen time. She goes all over the planet trying to help Godzilla for some reason. Which, by the way, that's very puzzling. Godzilla killed her little brother. Uh, yeah. And n- not her mom, but her, like her mom died At the in a hand. situation yeah. involving Godzilla. So like, are you sure you want to buddy up to him? Yeah, <laughs> like, she... What has he done for you? <laughs> yeah, it feels like maybe she's too young for her to be like the person. Try- like she's not in a position to be the one trying to kill him. Like she has no- like you. She's not a worthy adversary. Like she's a <laughs> child. Like she can't do anything. So the only thing she can do is like he's always misunderstood. So. Yeah, it, it's it's very underwritten to the point that it's a little bit confusing. Like I said, she exists, I think, purely to just provide us with a lens through which we can view important plot details. Yeah, um, it, it's a little bit obnoxious, much much more so than the Rebecca Hall camp. I think all the Kong stuff is actually handled fairly well, um, but all of their stuff, all their traipsing around the globe, is a little weird, especially when. She makes a phone call to her dad during the finale of the film that get the phone like the call gets dropped or something. So we we're not even aware if it went through. So what's the point of the call? Yeah, <laughs> like, well, it went through. How, yeah, Kyle Chandler gets to Hong Kong almost instantly. Like, yeah, well, and why is he there? <laughs> like, I get it. I get why he's there. It's because Godzilla's there, but he was just in Florida. Yeah. One does not go from Florida to Hong Kong in, in two seconds. No. <laughs> I, as much as I don't like their thread in this movie, I love what they're. I love this kind of thread in a movie where you have uh, the group on the tr- like trying to figure something out, trying to piece together what the big corporation or the whatever they're trying to hide. I always like that thread, but it doesn't really matter in this movie. Yeah, it, like I said, it, it's just to give us an excuse to get the yeah. information that we need to get so that the movie can keep moving. Um, Brian Tyree Henry's character is largely the catalyst for a lot of this stuff. In fact, like the the first time we get any monster action beyond our introduction to Kong, which, by the way, the, this is an example of the movie giving the audience what they want. So first shot of the movie, Kong. Ten minutes later, Godzilla. <laughs> 30 minutes after that, fight. <laughs> 20 minutes after that another fight <laughs> that that's that is like by the slasher movie handbook like we need tits or or, or beheading at some point like in the next 10 minutes and this movie is like we don't have either of those things but we got big monsters <laughs> um i don't want to i don't want to go into it now because i feel like it's a big it's the, kind of the big thing of this movie is that everything surrounding mecha godzilla 
because that I feel like that's going to be a big part of this discussion. But can we talk about a few things before we get there? I'll I'll defer to you. Kyle. Okay. Obviously, I can go on and on forever. So you you need to wrangle this beast. Uh, another th- <laughs> another thread I like in these kinds of movies is the sci- the uh, disgraced scientist who is an expert on this thing that we never thought was going to happen or was even possible, but it doesn't really go anywhere. It's not really useful in this movie. And that's Stellan Skarsgård. Uh, yeah. Character. So what Kyle is referring to Stellan, is a uh, Alexander. The uh, the surprisingly pleasant memories that both he and I share for the film Sphere mm-hmm. <laughs> which is not very well regarded by critics but there's a lot of things I really 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 dig about that movie and a lot of it has to do with what you're getting at it's just the the process of of the story the setup mm-hmm. is is really pleasant it's it's like a warm blanket um and yeah the the premise for Sphere was that Dustin Hoffman's character uh drew up some sort of uh, action plan for like specifically what happens in the film so the government contacts him it's like i yeah. wrote that to get like grant money not not expecting it to ever happen <laughs> um but in this case yeah we have we have alexander scars yeah sorry i almost alexander. said stellan i almost said stellan um he's he is the hollow earth expert which by the way i don't really understand why they would need him to get on the vehicle uh, especially since this is a place that's never been traversed, you don't actually physically have to have that guy on the ship. I would imagine they found it. <laughs> no, they they found it, and the way they phrase it is a little awkward because they say we need Kong to be a guide. It's like, dude, just go. <laughs> like yeah. it's right there. We can see it. <laughs> you spent trillions of dollars making a tunnel down to this wormhole to get there. You don't yeah. need him. Yeah, it's not like we get a sequence of him like digging to find the the portal no it's just there <laughs> you know more than him i think at this point i mean maybe it's more complicated than that this is never said in the film but maybe it's like one of those things where it's like well, you need you need to have like the equivalent of like a dna like wristband to get through because the portal will not recognize you or like punch your past port well, or something he's so important because he's the one that comes up with the idea Almost instantly, again, uh, he's talking to, I can't remember the actor's name again, what, uh, the billionaire? Damien Bashir. Damien Bashir. Damien. Uh, yeah, he he's just asking, like, what do you think about Hollow Earth? And he's like, well, obviously, I think it's a real thing. He's like, okay, I think it's real, too. And he's like, you know what we could probably do? Uh, there's probably a weapon down there, and we could use Kong. Kong is probably, he's probably from down there. So we're going to probably these probably <laughs> literally <laughs> probably. He's, he's probably from down there. <laughs> so what we could do is we take him from his containment unit, which you guys spent $10 trillion on. Uh, we're going to take him from that unit, put him on a boat barely like he literally he's just I mean, they have a pretty good chain system going on here. But he's just a. He, his arms are hanging off. <laughs> what happens if the chain operator just is like looking away and he just like falls over the side? This whole <laughs> boat is going down. Like yeah, it's just... it's capsizing. It's flipping over <laughs> at the very least. Irresponsible. But he's like he's probably from down there. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna try to have him smack Godzilla in the face or something, and then have him go to the Hollow Earth and see if we can find. Uh, a weapon of some other and they're actually not trying to they're trying to avoid godzilla like we don't want to yeah we, we don't want to make godzilla angry so just we'll do it in secret don't tell him 
So yeah, so, so the sequence Kyle is talking about, and I'll just I'll just gloss over a huge chunk of this movie. Let's it's like a ten minute sequence. Is <clears throat> after we're introduced to Kong, Godzilla makes his first appearance in the film in Pensacola, Florida, Florida of all places. It's already destroyed. Home, Fuck it. Home of <laughs> home of Roy Jones Jr. Um, and what we see is an Apex facility. Um, Apex is a new addition to the franchise, as far as I remember. Um, it's the company that Damien Bashir's character owns. That's Apex Cybernetics. So we have two corporations, or, or not corporations, but uh, entities in the form of Monarch, who are the people who are all about preserving the, the giant monsters. That's the engine. Have, yeah. Yeah. And then we have, uh, in, a, in the video games, I don't know if this was the case in the novels, Kyle. Uh, maybe you know I don't, but in the video games of Jurassic Park, there was a rival company to InGen yes. that uh, Dodson worked for. Yes. I think it was called Biosyn. They fl- they flushed that out a little bit more in uh, the book, but yeah, they're they're actually kind of not not a bigger component, not a bigger part of the story, but they do actually discuss that. Yeah, yeah. the they would their point the the purpose of that company is they basically find out what a company's doing, steal stuff, and then try to make a better copy of whatever they're trying to put out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and actually, there is a reason to me making this very explicit reference to Jurassic Park. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, InGen is the company that John Hammond owns, and they're the people who make the dinosaurs. Biosyn is the company that Dodson and uh, Dennis Nedry work for, yeah. who are trying to pirate the dino DNA. Bingo! Dino, dino DNA. DNA. <laughs> uh, to make their own, like, uh, bootleg dinosaurs again. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually uh, being so, talked about right now. Yeah. So we have Monarch, and who is InGen, and then we have Apex Cybernetics, who are equ- the equivalent to like Biosyn, who it's like they're clearly evil because their color scheme is mostly black and neon red. Yeah. That combination generally means bad. Good. Uh, that, <laughs> that's coded for bad, basically. Any, yeah. any human being on the planet can sniff that out, which is clever, clever design for your film. That's very elemental shit. Uh, we're not trying to think very hard with our Godzilla vs. Kong film, but uh, we have the sequence where Brian Tyree Henry, uh, who is a podcaster, uh, he's one of he's like a tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist podcast, the tinnest of the tinfoil hats. <laughs> um, but what I'm I'm sorry it took this long to get full circle with this <laughs> reference here. Um, when he sneaks into the Apex facility, like not really sneaks into, but he goes to a different department because he suspects that they're up to no good. Um, the way he gets access to their computers is like we have like an almost like Michael Bay Transformer sequence of him kind of like riffing dialogue with somebody just like say funny shit and then we'll figure it out in post. Um, his his behavior reminded me so much of Wayne Knight as Dennis Nedry. Like when, when they catch him, when he's, when he's leaving and telling them like, Oh, the power's going to like flick on and off. You know, it's yeah, no yeah. big deal. I, just don't, I need to go get something salty to sweet. <laughs> like he's doing that. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he does like get into their computers and what he learns from that is that there's some sort of uh, major shipping going on between Florida and fucking Hong Kong. Uh, whoa! <laughs> uh, but very shortly thereafter, Godzilla shows up and just fucking nukes the entire facility. Uh, yeah. He survives uh, to unite with Julian Dennison and Millie Bobber Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he discovers some sort of object in yeah. that facility that uh, it's code like the the f- visual language of the film. It's coded to tell us that this oh, is this is probably important. why yeah. Godzilla's here. Um, but yeah, this is what begins the. 
uh, the threat of Godzilla being a potential threat to humanity. And by the way, the statistics on that CNN report were questionable at best. <laughs> Eight dead? Eight? <laughs> Did yeah. you see what happened to that building? Eight people dead? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, times that by ten, I think. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Godzilla could fucking sneeze and kill more people than that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he could just be startled and kill, like, eight people. Like, oh, what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I get why they did that. It's probably to ensure that the audience uh, views Godzilla as the antagonistic force in the battles to come, but not so bad that, like, it's not forgivable. Yeah, we can't um, we can't make him the villain the villain like you just can't do yeah. that like he like he's gonna make us a lot more money guys we can't just like make him the bad guy and and his name is first on the marquee yeah like he he is why more more than likely people buy their tickets more so than Kong but curiously enough Kong ends up being essentially the protagonist of the film yeah uh, at least he's the only one really with any sort of character arc um but where did you want to bounce to next Kyle. Well, Stellan Skarsgård, he comes up with this brilliant plan. Uh, I do like the when they get onto the boat. They they're they're legit just have like a sedated Kong on this boat, um, and the guys like I don't know. They keep calling him a pussy. Like they just keep calling uh uh Peter Alexander Skarsgård a pussy, <laughs> and I don't know why. They're just like you're a fucking I actually, coward. I actually like that. Uh, so he uh, in between scenes he gets cleaned up by the way i actually liked his earlier look better with the beard and the greasy hair oh i didn't even notice uh, that yeah he he gets like a a, a thor ragnarok haircut ah um, later and he doesn't have his beard for the rest of the movie um so in between scenes he got all cleaned up i guess quote unquote cleaned up but uh the reason why he seeks out rebecca hall is because um like you said kong is probably <laughs> from the hollow earth <laughs> i love that I'm, I'm so glad you pointed that out it's like we don't even actually know but he's probably, probably yeah from the hollow earth and she um is famously like kong's keeper yeah. like she's the one who's been studying him she's the one who's kept him peaceful uh and has been trying to communicate with him for years and years and years and apparently the two of them were an item this is not explicitly stated but based on him saying, I used to know her and him kissing her on the cheek right after she agrees to let Kong loose. I think they used to be together. Uh, no longer, though, because she's not terribly enthused about being kissed on the cheek out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I, the plan comes together because it's decided that, you know, Kong will lead us through the hollow earth. And uh, Damien Bashir offers him resources in the form of these vehicles that oh, you know that horrible thing that happened to your brother? These vehicles will ensure that it probably won't happen again, um, provided we know where we're going, which is why we have Kong. Um, but there is another character in the room for that conversation, which, by the way, they have an electronic PowerPoint for. Um, so from Damien Bashir's uh, standpoint, uh, it's understood that they're, they have confirmed there is an energy source in the hollow earth that they need um, for reasons we'll get into later. Um, but yeah, they have this electronic PowerPoint, which again, from a visual standpoint, very efficient filmmaking. It's just like, just in case you're a complete fucking idiot, <laughs> like <laughs> here's what the, here's the plan. <laughs> it's it's almost like the the Death Star like uh, wireframe computer graphics they have. We didn't like, need yeah, we didn't need the uh, the, <laughs> the demonstration. Like that's it. 
Okay. <laughs> so you shoot a rocket down a, a vent, and then the whole thing blows up? Are you sure? Yeah. Nope. <laughs> Need the presentation for it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But there's another character present in the room for that conversation, which is the one I was alluding to earlier. The hot lady? Inclu- no. Uh, that's Eza Gonzalez, who has the most like manicured eyebrows I think I've ever seen in cinema. Um, uh, Rachel Weiss in The Mummy, I think, beats her out. Uh, I, that might be up for debate, but I'll have to go back and check that out. I mean, I, I'm looking for an excuse to go back and check out Mummy 99. I, I think I might do that tonight, actually. <laughs> it's always a good, like, you may have to get a pizza and watch the I, Mummy. I, <laughs> I, just got, like, a, I just got a promo code from Postmates, like $3 off your next order. I'm like, all right. Bam. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> You're driving hard bargain. All right. <laughs> No, Aza Gonzalez uh, plays Damian Bashir's daughter, uh, who has, I think you described as like what? What did you call her? Like corporate suit? Or oh, like yeah, she yeah. Is, she's a company man. Like she's just company man. Yeah. Company man. She just did we decide she that is her dad or not her dad? It's her dad. Okay, yeah, no, she's just a company man. Um, uh, she she doesn't give a shit. Like she's about getting the shit done. Yeah, watching this movie with my girlfriend was a lot of fun because my girlfriend gets really swept up in movies. Um, and any anything that's like plainly court, like plainly presented to the viewer as like, oh, you're supposed to not like them. She really doesn't like them. If you're supposed nice. to like him, she really likes him. So she gets like she reacts to the beats you're supposed to react to. And as soon as she's introduced, everything about the way she carries herself uh, and the comments she makes to Alexander Skarsgård, it's like hard coded to tell you she gonna die <laughs> like, like uh, it's gonna yeah. be bad <laughs> uh i i think she is about she is about the same character arc as the hot lady in spawn where she oh yeah it's pretty much the same thing oh my god kyle i just had my wires cross you said the hot lady from spawn and the image popped into my head and oh shit maybe it's the same actress i immediately thought munitia yeah i uh it might be munitia <laughs> It might be the same actress. It's, it's very possible. That could be it's, her. I mean, it's the same role, essentially. It, yeah, it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, she she is definitely not a good person. Everything she says in her first scene in the movie uh, is meant to be abrasive um, and company first in mentality. So uh, again, very elemental filmmaking where it's like, we're not really trying to trick you with any of this. People who are bad are going to be bad. Um, but the character I've been alluding to for all this time is... Uh, Shun Oguri uh, is the actor, and he is a big-name Japanese actor, uh, and the character he's playing is named Ren Serizawa, mm. as in Dr. Serizawa, as oh. in Ken Watanabe relations. <laughs> okay. And the baffling thing about the conclusion of this character is that his name is said exactly one time in the film that I counted anyway, and he has zero characterization, and yet he is given shots and moments that hint at dimension where during the destruction of the apex facility in florida he gets a shot where he's mean mugging godzilla mm-hmm. at a distance and then he like hesitates before getting into a helicopter and leaving and then we later learn that he's the pilot for mecha godzilla and then we also have a moment where they obtain the materials they need to like make mecha godzilla armed and fully operational and he actually like comments that oh, maybe we should think twice about this and then he's dead <laughs> I mean, so it's like it's like there 
he's one of those characters that there are definitely additional scenes of him on the cutting room floor uh where i would imagine he's he probably has like some sort of strange relationship with godzilla in particular but they they cut all of that shit out to the point where he is a non-character in this film they actually do a little bit of wild wild west science in this movie i feel like because you know how the one dude was decapitated and then they take his head and they project what the last image that he what he saw and it was uh buffalo bill basically <laughs> what the fuck is with this skeleton that they've got all these wires hooked up to uh okay let's get into that <laughs> <laughs> so um This has been a spoiler-filled discussion anyway, but uh, just in case you've been living under a rock, Mechagodzilla is indeed in this film. Yes. Uh, It was the worst fucking kept secret in Hollywood. I'm actually kind of mad. I'm really mad, actually, because um, some asshole on Twitter uh, posted photos of toys. Oh, get fucked. Promoting the movie in, like, 2019. What an ass. Uh, See, I did so, not know Mechagodzilla. So I, accident- I accidentally became aware that Mechagodzilla was in the film because some asshole just threw them out there. Um, and then ever since then, the studio has been trying their damnedest to pretend that that never happened. So it wasn't until, like, the very final trailers for the film, like, not only tra- not just trailers, but, like, teasers for the film, that they even showed, like, a single frame that included Mechagodzilla. But it's just been this thing that most of the people who would care to know about these things, they've known about it for at least a couple of years now. And it, it sucked to be to have that, that spoiled for you. I did not have it spoiled, but similar to knowing that the deaf girl was going to communicate with Kong, as soon as we show this like this facility, I'm like, Mechagodzilla, 100%. This guy is building a Mechagodzilla. Well, it, Apex Cybernetics. Anybody, who, anybody who's steeped in Godzilla lore will... As soon as the movie starts, if they see that and they, you know, notice the the ominous black and red color scheme for Apex Cybernetics, it's like, hmm, cybernetics. Who do I know that's a cyborg? But I will counter that and say that there was a Mecha King Ghidorah uh, in in the '90s in in the Godzilla movies, and the the uh, post credit sequence at the end of Godzilla King of the Monsters showed us that uh, what's his face um, from from a uh, Last Action Hero. Um, and Game of Thrones. Charles Dance. Charles Dance, thank you. Um, he had preserved one of Ghidra's heads. Mm. So that that was something that we could all assume was going to be in this movie. And based on the fact that we had a Mecha King Ghidorah at some point in the franchise, maybe we could do that again. And not only that, also in the 90s in the Godzilla movies, uh, Mecha King Ghidorah's head was used to reverse engineer future technology to create Mechagodzilla. So all threads, all potential threads based on you know precedents and whatnot suggested there is either a Mechagodzilla or another Ghidra coming up. And actually I had a theory that I was a little bit disappointed. Uh, this was uh, listed on my, my one note card I wrote any sort of notes about this movie for as a missed opportunity. Um, one of those was uh, Skull Crawlers. They are in this film. Mm-hmm. The monsters, the antagonists from Kong Skull Island, are in this film, but only to the only purpose they serve is for fodder for Mechagodzilla. Basically, it's like testing his capabilities. 
Um, and in like wrestling terms, basically they're meant to job out to Mechagodzilla just to show off how strong he is. Where it's like, oh my God, the Big Show, he 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 smashed the Hurricane. Like, like that that means he's that strong. It's like, oh no, the Rock doesn't stand a chance against the Big Show. <laughs> <laughs> but um, another, the other major missed opportunity was Serizawa. Like, what are we doing with this character? And why? Like, if you're going to have this guy. All you'd have to do, his name is only said on screen one time. Just because he's played by a Japanese actor doesn't mean he has to be related to Ken Watanabe's character. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's an American film, Trevor. Yes, it, it does. It is an American <laughs> film, but it's also an international market film. So I made a joke to my girlfriend like when we hit the play button. And I was like, so I know that there's exactly one Japanese guy in this movie. And I'm telling you right now, I'm pretty sure he's going to be bad. <laughs> and I was right. <laughs> he didn't even have blonde hair. I didn't even see it coming. Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's, it's unfortunately a rule. It's like you can only have one of them, and he's got to be evil. <laughs> okay, so but, go ahead. Sorry, let you finish. Oh, uh, and the, the last missed opportunity was the fact that, yeah, we're, we have a skull from the, from the antagonist of the previous movie in the form of Ghidra. And apparently they're... Brian Tyree Henry explains to us that apparently they're using the capabilities of the skull uh, to create like a neural link between a human pilot and the Mechagodzilla robot. Okay, I follow. But um, in the pivotal sequence at the very climax of the movie, in the finale, um, they, they turn on Mechagodzilla and the connection between the pilot and the robot is severed. Yeah. And the pilot is killed in that process. Yes. What what I thought was happening there was that Ghidra was the consciousness of the dragon yes. was going to like take control of the robot. And I was like, that's actually kind of fucking cool. That's, but that's, but not, that's what, not what... Oh, that's not what was happening. See, that's what I thought was Wild Wild West. It's like, yeah, we have this fucking bone, this skull, and it's controlling the Mechagodzilla. I'm like, how? How did that happen? <laughs> but that's not what was happening. Well, yeah, and there's precedent for this too in 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 previous Godzilla movies. Um, one of the iterations of Mechagodzilla uh, in the 2000s was actually the the armor portions of it, like the cyborg components of it, were built on top of the skeleton of the 1954 Godzilla. It was a really cool idea. Um, but yeah, I, w- I my brain started like firing. I was like, oh, actually, this is kind of a cool idea. Where I was, I was looking for that moment where like Godzilla would like stare down Mechagodzilla and be like, I know you, like something like that, where he'd like recognize that it's like that, like this this thing I'm sensing or this scent is is the thing that was pissing me off a few years ago. It's like you're back. Well, clearly based on the his actions in King of the Monsters, the two of them cannot share space. Like so that would explain why Godzilla flips out every time Mechagodzilla even gets his, his switch flicked on. Um but as far as I know, like like I said, this movie is not in the business of explaining any of the decisions it makes. Uh all we get is a couple of visual elements telling us pilot connection severed, uh Shun Oguri uh, gets electrocuted to death, yeah. and Millie Bobby Brown says it's like I think she says it's thinking for itself now. How did you get that? That's the extent of it. So maybe, maybe my what I inferred was correct, but I can't confirm. Um, I think it would be a lot more interesting to to know that, but like I said, it's not that kind of movie. <laughs> 
Okay, so I can just give you the brief run. I can give you the rundown of these these three real quick. You have Bobby Billy Brown. Um, <laughs> she <laughs> she um, she I guess wants to do something with Godzilla. I don't know. She's friends with the Kiwi Kid. He steals his brother's van. They want to find this podcaster. She listens to this podcaster all the time. Uh, they go to look for him. They find out who he is immediately uh, because he buys a bunch of bleach from this convenience store. By the way, actually, I want to bring something up. The bodega next to my apartment. I saw a man. Uh, he was in a wheelchair, but uh, he had he was purchasing things. But what he was doing, instead of having a, a little shopping basket, he would go around the store, place them up on the counter, just periodically. So he had three things of Clorox bleach, uh, some Twizzlers. And my man was buying a penthouse and a hustler. Penthouse and hustler magazine. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> he had a quite an evening ahead of him. I like uh really? I think this guy might be a serial killer. <laughs> you don't need that amount of bleach for anything. And you're buying porn? What is wrong Sammy, with you? Are you dissolving a body in your bathtub or some shit? I'm like, dude, if you, I mean, I've got an old laptop you can have if you just need to hook it up to Wi-Fi. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to buy um, manual or, yeah, manual <laughs> porn here. Caveman porn. But anyway, <laughs> Cave painting yeah. porn. I do like their exchange with the with the bodega guy. He's just like, yeah, I don't know who the fuck you're talking about. Do you want to? Uh, Ronnie Cheng, I believe he's like a Daily Show correspondent or something. Oh, he was also he had one of the best lines in a Crazy Rich Asians. Mm. Optimal angle, like maybe look it up. Uh, optimal angle. Okay, because I'm not gonna watch that movie. <laughs> um, okay. But yeah, they find him almost immediately, and then they go to his apartment. And what a grown adult should do is, if two kids come to your apartment, uh, you shut the door and you don't entertain anything they have to say uh because that's just a bad idea but yeah they go to the facility and then they're checking out or this this uh this thing that was supposed to be important like it's supposed to be a big deal and it's like not there but somehow they end up in a shipping container full of these things and they're about to be shipped to hong kong now trevor they're about to be shipped to hong kong on the it's not it's faster than a bullet train this thing is going what would the speed get up to did you catch it I didn't catch any kilometers or miles, but um, based on the fade to white we do as it's in transit, I would imagine pretty fucking fast. <laughs> it's going pretty fast, but they're totally fine. Like they're not even like up against the wall, like with their <laughs> mouths open. Like, like whoa! whoa! <laughs> <laughs> but this is a, I is this an underwater tunnel from the United States of America to China? This king comes up in Hong Kong. <laughs> it's where this thing lands. It's pretty fucking crazy. So Elon Musk was watching this and be like, "This fucker stole my idea." <laughs> Honestly, I think it can happen. I think I think this is le- like legit. We're gonna have like an underwater tunnel uh, <laughs> to another country. Um, another thing I wanted to point out was I, I don't really think. Do you want to talk about the battle scene at all between Kong Godzilla in the water? I mean, I think there are some some highlights to it that are worth pointing out for sure. Okay. Um, I guess one of the things I noticed in this movie is like who we're killing and who we care about killing. Um, so we killed like what eight? What we say eight people in that facility? Like we like a few Americans get stepped on and we lose our fucking mind. We sacrificed a lot of people out in this Kong versus Godzilla battle on the water. 
China, we killed an enormous amount of Chinese people <laughs> during that last battle. Like, we could not give a shit less about what's happening over there. Yeah, no, the body count there, I, I don't care how you try to spin that, astronomical. It's the most people that have died from a single incident. Yeah. <laughs> Easily. No, I mean, it's actually kind of funny that because it's Godzilla, I think people give it a lot more leeway um, because not too long ago we had um, Man of Steel wherein Metropolis gets destroyed twice, uh-huh. back to back, um, by Henry Cavill and uh, your boy, Michael Shannon, yeah. uh, throwing hands in the streets of Metropolis. Um, there was a negative backlash because... You know, it's Superman. Generally, you don't associate property damage with Superman. And just the flagrant disregard for, you know, potential lives lost in that sequence uh, got Zack Snyder a lot of flack, such that pretty much every superhero movie since, since like 2013, has had to... Evacuation? Yeah. I mean, Age of Ultron had the most embarrassing thing where it's like we have like a five-minute sequence before the climactic battle of just the Avengers sneaking people out of the city so we have yeah. free reign to destroy said city we moved up five um, city blocks it's totally fine it's good we're, we're, yeah and, we're and uh batman versus superman in particular had the most the ugliest version of that where it's like doomsday crash lands on an island between metropolis and gotham and then every every government and or military official in the in the command center has to say it's okay it's like it, it, there's no people there <laughs> we're like, putting up gang it's, like, it's it's an abandoned island in between two of the biggest cities in the country we're putting up genghis khan numbers in an afternoon <laughs> in this it's pretty crazy it's pretty fucking crazy but um what i i won't go into too much detail but our our first major battle sequence in the movie um is has been advertised very heavily it's on the high seas I thought it was um, good. I liked it. It was very good. And I think it's actually longer than the climactic battle. Uh, I think between, you're right. Between the two like the two title characters. Anyway. You know what I like about it? It's more fun. I've seen these. I've seen Godzilla fucking bounce around downtown and destroy shit. It was really good in Shin Godzilla. It's pretty cool. But like I've seen it, guys. It's cool. But I think adding Kong to the element, you have two different animals that are capable of like different things. Like uh, Godzilla can't run and jump on stuff but kong can and that makes it a little more fun but that's what makes the water like the 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 water sequence really cool as i mean has this been done before in a kong or in any of these kind of movies i'm glad you asked that um because this actually brings up a subject for debate that uh you in particular probably have feelings about um and that would be technology Mm. um so you know monsterverse films of course they're using up to they're using current technologies like to to portray the monster yeah. characters and that means cgi a lot of it is performance captured um there's a fellow that uh, his name is i think tj storm um he has cool, long man. dreads and he is an intense individual uh, as far as i know he has portrayed godzilla in all of the monsterverse films maybe not the first one but i know for sure he was in king of the monsters but he does the performance capture for the character um punisher and the dude from the punisher Yes, uh, the the fake Irish guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. McGinty. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. He's he's a, a stunt guy, but you know, for performance capture reasons, sometimes that's a good thing to have. So is he really doing the flipping in Punisher Warzone and stuff? More than likely, yeah. Nice. More than likely, he he's he's a tricker. Like he knows how to do aerial stuff. Nice. Um, yeah, that's it's funny enough. That's actually a character from the Punisher comics. Born in Indiana. 
raised in Hawaii. Oh shit. That that is a co- collision of worlds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh but yeah, he he's he's Godzilla, but you don't ever see him. He he just does the movements, but um what I'm what I'm getting at here is that this particular kind of battle on the sea um we've had plenty of Godzilla movies that have, you know, fight sequences in the ocean and whatnot. But because of the limitations of technology and suitmation in particular, you can't do this shit with guys in rubber suits. They'll fucking drown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they they in at Toho Studios they famously had a set called the Daipuru, uh, the giant pool, um, that was used for like sea sequences, and it just had this gigantic painting of a of a of a blue sky, and it was just this massive pool, like hundreds of feet long. It's really cool. Uh, they closed it down since because I think it wasn't worth the expenditure. Mm. Um, but most of the se- sequences where Godzilla was in the water and blowing up ships and stuff were filmed there. And usually they'd have the top half of the suit so the guy you know, in the suit could have his legs to keep from fucking drowning. Yeah. Um, but the, the way the sequence is choreo- choreographed is something we've never been able to do. Mm-hmm. And that actually, you know... I I like suitmation. I was raised on the Godzilla movies from mostly the 60s and stuff, but this is something that you can't do that way, and therefore it's new and interesting, and I was kind of thrilled to see what they did with some of the choreography here. It was really clever stuff. Yeah. I think it was a lot of fun. Yeah, they it's part of good choreography is like coming from the the Jackie Chan school of thinking where you you look at what the tools you have available to you and you make the best use of those tools mm-hmm. where if Jackie Chan has a ladder on the set, he's going to use that ladder to do something with it. Oh yeah. Um and if Kong has multiple ships available to him, we're going to have a shot from his perspective of him looking at them and thinking, "Hmm, Mario Brothers is a fun video game. (laughs) I like jumping on turtles. These ships may as well be turtles. And he bounds from ship to ship because wouldn't that be cool? And yeah, it is. See, I'm upset that we didn't get like a single shot of the sailors on these ships just like just shaking underneath weight, just praying to whatever god they believe in. Save me, Jeebus. (laughs) Just please let me get past. Let me get through this. I'll quit dipping. I'll stop drinking. I'll do whatever. Just let me get past this. Well, see, actually, that calls back to the previous movies because in either Godzilla 2014 or King of the Monsters, you would have had that. Mm-hmm. Because if you think back on the way the monster scenes were shot in those movies, you absolutely would have had that. Because part of what makes Godzilla 2014 such a remarkable film, if you ask me anyway, uh, is that it takes place in in our reality. Yeah. Like, like most of the props and the designs of the cities and, and the equipment that's used in that film reflects that of modern, you know, realistic standards. And the way the, the monsters are framed in that movie, the intention of the filmmaking is to make you believe that this gigantic, larger-than-life thing truly exists in our world. King of the Monsters kind of throws some of that out the window and heightens things quite a bit and makes things more kitschy in the form of, you know, a giant fucking flying fortress, um, you know, from the monarch organization, which seems to have no budgetary limitations None. to anything they do. <laughs> None. Um, and now now we get to Godzilla versus Kong, and it's like we're not even bothering with, with trying to make this shit realistic anymore. Mm-hmm. We have fucking 
hover vehicle hover space vehicles that travel through the hollow earth and shit like that and skulls that talk to robots <laughs> like we're not even trying to do that anymore but no i know what you mean it would have been nice to have some of those details although we do get to see some pilots um get truly fucked up in this movie yeah. <laughs> um i kind of dug that we're i'm always a big fan of those scenes in any of these movies like uh rodan uh the the giant flying pterodactyl from ah. king of the monsters uh in his solo movie and in that movie um he gets some cool shots of him like fighting the air force and stuff and you get to see the pilots like freaking the fuck out and getting killed and stuff but yeah kong actually picks up a, a jet and throws it at godzilla <laughs> and um because he's kong though and because he's portrayed in a sympathetic light in this film it's kind of funny like i chuckled at it because he picks up a jet and he throws it at Godzilla, but before the jet hits him, the pilot ejects. Yes, and we, yes. It's like, oh, Kong Kong doesn't do that. Like, he jumps around, he smashes buildings, but we we never actually get him, we never actually get to see him kill anybody. I perked, Whereas Godzilla. <laughs> I perked up when I saw that too. I'm like, oh shit, he's going to throw a plane at him? I'm like, oh, he ejected. I'm like, damn. I'm like, okay, I would have been fine yeah. either way. Yeah, there was a, I don't know if it was an Easter egg, it may have been incidental, but I noticed a couple of things where um, the university that Alexander Skarsgård works at is called Denim University in, in uh, Pittsburgh, I think. Carl Denim from King Kong, uh, the, the okay, filmmaker. there we go, guy. yeah. And then uh, nice. the, one of the pilots that takes off, like, the, the catapult from the, the aircraft carrier just before everything gets smashed. Um, his helmet, it says Hirata on it. And uh, Akihiko Hirata was the actor who pl- portrayed Dr. Serizawa oh, yeah. in the original Godzilla. So, sure, uh, yeah. you know, maybe incidental, who knows? But no, I thought there. it was kind of neat. It's not there on accident. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the, the whole fight sequence on the high seas is it's actually kind of hilarious because only a few minutes later it's shown to be entirely pointless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because we airlift Kong after the fact. Um, it's like, why didn't you do that in the first place? <laughs> Knowing because, folks, like if you weren't paying attention, the whole reason why there's conflict in regards to transporting Kong, and in fact, the reason he's in that enclosure is for his own safety. Mm-hmm. It's because Godzilla apparently it's said numerous times, mostly by Rebecca Hall, that they're theorizing that Godzilla and Kong have some sort of rivalry with each other. The understanding probably is that. Is that there can only, yeah probably is the key word in this movie for everything probably the understanding is that in the monster domain there has to be a king but there can only be one and apparently the two of them view each other as rivals so as long as Godzilla senses Kong's presence much like King Ghidorah in King of the Monsters as long as they inhabit the same Earth they're going to have beef with each other and they're going to find each other so by keeping him in that enclosure Godzilla can't sense him. And therefore, he can believe himself to be the king without having to like have anyone challenge for the title. But when they tra- when they ship him out, like literally on a fucking ship, uh, everything, all of that shit goes out the window. And it's like, oh, Godzilla can sense him and will come after him. We all know that, and yet we're still putting him on a ship and putting him in. Oh yeah, in the ocean where Godzilla fucking lives. Yeah. <laughs> not wise. <laughs> I do like where uh, the. They're trying to get rid of Godzilla, and they're like, okay, uh, he has to think that he's dead. That's the only way yeah. that he's going to go. So he's just like, all right, shut off the boat. And the captain's like, that would kill it. Like, we, we will die if we shut off the boat for some reason. He's like, trust me, he's going to – we have to think that he's dead. We have to just be dead still. He's like, if this doesn't work, 
I'm like, well, what? If it doesn't work, you're dead. Like, nothing. <laughs> it's either do it or don't. <laughs> well, I mean, like, he says this better work, and it's like... Or what? So, th- this Godzilla thing. Yeah, he, he he first showed up, like, improper, like, in 2014. Mm-hmm. Yeah? It's like, we've, we've been launching ordnance at him, including nuclear devices. Yes. Since, like, the 50s? Do you really think anything you have on this ship is going to make a difference? <laughs> like, like I understand the idea of feeling better about going to your doom, you know, with an empty magazine or something. In the grand scheme, I don't think it's going to matter, buddy. Uh, <laughs> just, just entertain me. <laughs> sir, have you ever heard of a sitting duck? We've been a sitting duck since we've had him on our ship. And uh, really, what we do doesn't matter. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah we're going to try. Let's, yeah. let's try this, please. Yeah, it, in in the words of C three PO, let the Wookiee win. <laughs> yeah, let let Godzilla win. Let him feel that he won. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that actually is the resolution to the battle in the ocean, which by the way, I'm I'm not doing a good job of highlighting the choreography, but they really do. I will give them all the credit in the world. They really do a fantastic job of um, adhering to the characterizations that we all know and love for both of these monsters. Yes. Like both of them are presented the way you would expect them to be. Mm-hmm. I wasn't disappointed with the portrayal of either monster. Um, a lot of the beats in the choreography felt very true to their abilities and their mindset. Um, and that reflects especially well in the ocean where it's like, you know, Godzilla lives here. Yeah. He has a clear advantage. And in fact, there's a pretty gripping sequence where he's trying to drown the monkey. Yeah, that was pretty bitching. I was pretty bitching, although my girlfriend had a, a cute theory that I was like, that's totally senseless. But, you know... I. It would be kind of neat if that was true. She was like, he's dragging him down. Maybe he's trying to take him to the hollow earth, like, so they can have a conversation. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I, was like I, I don't know. That monkey looks pretty unhappy. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's going to make it all the way to the hollow earth. Yeah, that's, that's a, a long, long trip. <laughs> but I thought it was cute because it's like, actually, that was a question I kept in the back of my head as we get towards the end of the movie. But yeah, point is, Godzilla has a clear advantage in the ocean and, uh, I like that Kong is just done. Mm-hmm. Right? Like he does get back onto the ship where he started, uh, but not before flipping it over a couple times and sinking every ship they have with them, including a fucking aircraft carrier. Which, if you've seen a trailer for this movie, you know that they both get into a fucking slugfest. On it's pretty fucking cool. I especially like the camera shot where it's almost a Ryuhei Kitamura move, where the camera starts um, like at a, a standard angle, but then it. it it flips backwards and that ro- it rolls mm-hmm. all the yeah. way over and you're totally disoriented when it happens, but it matches the movements of the characters and then it writes itself just in time for the, the fight to continue. It's actually pretty fucking cool. Um, give them credit for that. But um, yeah, they turn off the engines and stuff and Godzilla, um, he gets this demonic moment <laughs> where like, like the sea is on fire and we get to see him looking a little bit more just straight up mean than we've ever seen him in any of these movies. And he just looks at the monkey who's just dead tired and just puked up a bunch of water. And he's like, yeah, I think you're good. <laughs> it's like, it's like I don't need you to be dead. Like, it's, you, 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 I think you learned your lesson. Yeah, I'll it, see you later. I mean, in Kong's <laughs> defense, Godzilla was warm. Like, thinking about this in, like as a fight, Godzilla was warmed up. He came in there ready to go. He was doing his fucking his exercise. Kong has been fucking sedated, just eating yeah. fish. And he just, like, yeah. wakes up and, like, hey, you got to fight somebody. It's like, oh, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it wasn't... Yeah, he he was he was cold. Yeah, he, he was, was cold. cold. He was stiff. He yeah. was sitting 
crisscross applesauce for days. Yeah. Like, like you can't you can't just pop up from that and be ready to go. You gotta at least do some jumping jacks. Just warm yourself up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, no swimming, swimming is a full body workout, man. Like Godzilla was well, he was ready he was all to loose. go. He was all loose, yeah. ready to go. Um by the way, um I don't know if it was a reference to Jaws, but a uh, really cool shot where Godzilla cuts a ship in half with his dorsal fin and then the anchor gets hooked to his tail and we don't see him because he's below the waterline but we see like the bow of a ship cruising towards kong yeah it's much like the it's much like the barrels that they hook to jaws and then he pops up and they get to fighting but yeah uh really terrific 10 minute action sequence um it's it's some show shop show stopping stuff and it's only the middle of the movie it would have been a lot of fun to see in the theater this was the scene that i'm like i wish i could have seen this in the theater this whole movie made me like just like ah, damn it yeah like, like the whole time i've been waiting for this movie that that was my thought and and in fact i was really kind of bummed because uh, godzilla king of the monsters um one of the first dates i went on with my girlfriend uh, ah. was that movie um, it's the first one, first Godzilla movie she ever saw. So like, as soon as she, as soon as we were aware that this movie was in production, I was like, yeah, of course we're going to go see that on my couch. <laughs> but um, yeah, we already went over the Hollow Earth stuff. Yeah, so we can skip that. Um, Eza Gonzalez eats shit there. Yeah, um, it's it's actually pretty cool. Um, my girlfriend pointed out that. Uh, so she there's this like double cross moment where we know that she's bad because Damien Bashir has been revealed to be building a Mecha Godzilla. Um, the Millie Bobber Brown crew uh, discovered uh, via traveling all the way to Hong Kong, where he is now uh, with Shun Oguri, um, that Mecha Godzilla is under construction. They see him uh, melt a skull crawler with just like one breath weapon shot, uh, quite a bit easier than Kong did it you know in, in movies prior um so we are now aware that mecha godzilla is in this movie and he's a threat and damien bashir is building him um but basically yeah they they get there and they they get wise to all the shit that's going on and in the meantime Ezo gonzalez is in the hollow earth in kong's throne room and uses some little spider droid thing to uh like pull a sample yeah. of, of of the materials that somehow they can replicate it up on the surface instantaneously yeah sure <laughs> it just satellite bounces from the hollow earth they're not you're not getting service down there uh <laughs> it's not happening uh i'm in a, of a basement studio like I've got no service down here. I have to use Wi-Fi. <laughs> like, there's there's no way that they're getting service down there. But yeah, it just bounces up to Earth, and it's like uh, five, four, three, two, one, and we got it. You're good to go. And it's, it's literally done. like a minute or two, and it's very quick. Whatever, whatever it does, Godzilla is just like in Hong Kong. I guess he's going to like he senses Mecha Godzilla or something. So they, when when they test Mecha Godzilla and Millie Brown uh, witnesses the test. Um, it shuts down because apparently the power source they're using is insufficient to keep it running for more than a few seconds or something. Um, but basically every time they turn him on, uh, Godzilla flips out. Yeah. So what we saw in the Pensacola location, it looked like his eyeball or something, mm. like a component of him. So I'm guessing when they turned that on, he was like, fuck, I, gotta bl- I guess I got to <laughs> blow up Florida. <laughs> and then we actually get a shot of him in the ocean when they turn him on in Hong Kong. And we just see him like turn around and be like, oh, that, that's no good. I guess I got to go to Hong Kong and blow shit up. 
Uh, so yeah, that's that's the logic we're operating from is that if, if Mechagodzilla is on, Godzilla's pissed because I think Damien Bashir says something along the lines of like it's a it's a challenge to his like apex predator status. Yeah. And so like on an intrinsic level, he just senses that there's some powerful being out there that can challenge him. Um, as we'll see later in the movie, he is more than a match for him, actually. Yeah, but he senses something down on the hollow earth. Like they just poke something. He's like, uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. actually, that was a question I had for you. So like I said, Eza Gonzalez eats shit there. So she does get the sample, the thing they need to turn on Mechagodzilla and have him be armed and operational. Yeah. Um, and she tries to escape. But Kong grabs hold of the heave, the uh, hollow earth uh, aerial vehicle. Yeah. Uh, um, and she tries to escape with her goon squad, and he grabs hold of the vehicle. Kong does. And my girlfriend pointed out that he like he looks into the cockpit. To, yeah. To make sure that the little girl was in there, yeah. <laughs> and then he crushes. Yeah. Exactly. I was like that. Like that's that's like you know classic monster movie stuff where it's like th- that's actually usually the scariest part. It's like in Jaws when it's before Quint gets bit that that's the scariest part. And it's like the lost world before Eddie gets bit is the scariest part for that person. For her, you know, knowing that you're about to get crushed sucks, but having it drag on just that little bit longer, <laughs> and, and like that sucks extra. Um, uh, but yeah, she gets squished, but I'll oh, go ahead, Kyle. I was going to say, I would argue that the scariest part of Jaws is the Indianapolis story. Uh, yeah, actually, fair <laughs> enough. I watch that like once, once every few months. I'm just like, I'm gonna watch him say that whole thing again because it's so good. Uh, but yeah, he 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 just I guess crushes her. The other, so yeah, Godzilla's blasting his way to the Hollow Earth through his beam, basically. I I had a question for you about that because I'm not I actually don't understand that. Why? Because it would take too long to get. To, like, wait, what? What? tipped him off or why did he go about it that way Uh, what tipped him off because like i said we get precedence in the film that anything having to do with mecha godzilla is why he turns violent towards cities and stuff okay why would why would he conflate the two so there's a weird like he's got that weird bluish bluish thing like he looks like he's like mr freeze or something Uh, (laughs) and uh if you notice like there's a lot of it in the ground in the hollow earth like yes, the, yeah. yes. So I'm thinking that he is like, um, like the, it's like Bluetooth. Like he's got, he's got, like he's connected somehow to that power source down in the Hollow Earth. So he felt somebody messing with it, I suppose. So he's just like, uh, uh, we just start blowing a thing down there. Or he, I guess, since that Kong was down there because he set the the axe in the thing i guess i that's the only thing i can guess yeah actually see that kind of makes sense to me it's never explained so i you know that's a fun theory and and it does make some sense to me but what i was expecting actually and it had to do with the editing of the film is that we go from the the apex people extracting the the materials from the hollow earth and then we do like a hard cut to godzilla and i seem to remember like his spine's like lighting up and then turning off and what i was expecting to happen was that he would somehow summon kong or kong would get there on his own or something and for that chunk of the fight he wouldn't have access to his fire breath because of the tampering in the hollow earth or something Ah, yeah but that, that makes that, sense that was not the case no um, but it was what i was expecting for a minute there but yeah he he gets to hong kong where 
like I said, I thought he was there to shit on Mechagodzilla's Cheerios. Yeah. But yeah, he just like takes a deep breath and he bores a fucking hole to the center of the earth, which I'm pretty sure is not good for the earth. No. <laughs> and then he actually says like, he just like calls out Kong from the surface and Kong hears him and he jumps down the hole, which spits him up, spits him up yeah. into Hong Kong. And they, um, yeah, and our, and the humans left just like, we're going to ride it out guys. We're, we're just going to go out this way. We'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. I did like that when when godzilla does that it was probably on accident but he straight up nukes kong's throne <laughs> it's like it's like he it's like he fucked with his house it's like yeah. he tp'd kong's house and now kong has to beat some beat some ass <laughs> get some respect pre- anything with a tunnel in this movie is pretty silly yeah 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 the, the tunnels are are shortcuts and i the movie is well aware of that in fact in king of the monsters like the entire reason we brought up hollow earth was just so we could have an explanation as to how godzilla gets all over the earth instantaneously is that he uses essentially like wormholes yeah uh, so jason Voorhees logic yeah. so he never he never moves faster than a snail's pace and yet somehow he's, he's around every corner <laughs> he's <laughs> but, secretly aramac <laughs> he is secretly Aramac. There you go. Um, Just as ugly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's the that's the mummy version of Aramac. That's true. Um, I don't think we'll be seeing Aramac in the new Mortal Kombat, <sighs> but we'll see. We'll see. I know Cabal is in it, which I was not expecting. Hmm. Uh, Cabal's the guy with the gas mask and the hook swords. Okay. What um, about Go- uh, Goro? Do you think he's going to be? Goro has been in some of the trailer shots. However, he's full CGI, from <sighs> what I can tell. And something about the way they're portraying him in those trailers makes me believe he might be in, like, flashbacks or something. Oh, man. Because they are not promoting him at all. Like, he's just kind of incidental. Okay. Um, so that, that's just a guess on my part. But um, So I, my guess is that he's, he'll be featured in, like, a montage of previous tournaments or something. Um, anyway, back to Godzilla's yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, uh the the pro kong team rebecca hall alexander skarsgård and gia the kaylee hoddle girl uh they're the only survivors from the hollow earth expedition uh they follow kong to hong kong um which begins the the basically the the final battle between the two monsters and uh, what did you think of this one do you think it held up to the the sea battle no i think the sea battle was the best i mean this was still good don't get me wrong It, it was still pretty good um we got Kong like uh, using his surroundings a bit more, uh, like jumping, hiding stuff, using tools. I think he uses the axe, and he gets a good, he gets a good shot in the leg on uh, Godzilla, which is nice. Um, but I did like how this in- I like how the fight ended. Um, I agree. I think it was pretty good. Godzilla ends up getting the best uh, the best of Kong, and he kind of like I could kill you now, but I'm not gonna, and you're just gonna have to live with that, bro. Uh, or even he was like, you're going to die anyway, maybe. Yeah, uh, I I really like this battle, mostly because of the way it concluded. Um, the, the opening part of it is just straight up fun. We got Kong swinging an axe around. Yeah. And there's a whole chunk of it where they're playing. He's playing keep away, basically. He's he's kiting Godzilla's fire breath, just like bounding off of buildings. And um, we get some really corny stuff in here where I, I don't know how I feel about Godzilla smiling. Um, I don't after. like that at all. I personally don't like that. My Godzilla is generally surly. Um, like my favorite portrayals of the character is generally kind of grumpy. Yeah. 
Um, I'm not a big fan of smiling lizards. <laughs> it just looks wrong. Yeah, no. It was cute. It was cute, but it's a little much for me personally. Um, I, I actually didn't mind Kong smiling after eating a handful of fish. That was actually kind of cute. Yeah. Well, it makes sense for a primate, not a reptile. It, it makes sense for a primate, and more than that, it actually is a little bit comedic because from our perspective, all that fish looks fucking disgusting. Yeah. But then his reaction to eating it, it's like, oh, he, actually, he he's fine with it, so never mind. Yeah. But, he likes it. Um, he likes it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the first stanza of the fight is essentially... Um, Kong kind of getting to flex his muscles a bit, go to town on him with the axe. Um, we do get some callbacks to uh, King Kong versus Godzilla, the 1962 one, in the form of him like jamming the axe handle into, into Godzilla's mouth. Kind of, <laughs> I uh, didn't catch he that. Did, <laughs> he, he did it to him uh, with a tree, ah. in, uh, the 62 version, but this one he's like, eat it! <laughs> it it's pretty fucking great. Um, but yeah, the fire breath is is definitely an imposing weapon. Actually, the portrayal of it is uh, it's heightened in this one because in both 2014 and in King of the Monsters, it was like it was like a good solid hit, but it wasn't like a finishing blow until until it inevitably was. Um, whereas in this one, like he he skims Kong with it, and it's a serious wound. Um, so like the power of his fire breath is heightened in this movie a little more than in movies prior. Um, but yeah, the the trailer shot of Kong blocking the fire breath with the axe and then crashing down on Godzilla's head with it is the conclusion of the first stanza of the battle. Um, at which point, Alexander Skarsgård has a questionable line of dialogue saying like, "Oh, I guess round two goes to Kong." It's like, you sure about that? Because <laughs> they're both like, as far as I can tell, they're both on their back right now. Um, but the the second stanza of it is where things get really interesting to me, anyway. And it's basically where Godzilla like shakes out the cobwebs and he's just like <laughs> it's like okay you want to fight let's go yeah um and we actually get to see some movements and behavior from godzilla that we've never seen in any other movie and i, I thought it was kind of neat yeah. it's taking advantage of the tools you have so you have a big reptilian thing that um since 2014 he has taken on some more like alligator like uh, characteristics in particular uh, his texturing mm-hmm. so like so like the bumpy texture to like his shoulder area and his arms and stuff is reminiscent of like an alligator or something. It's uh, not something that's been common to every design, but um, they actually have him like stalking on all fours for a, a portion of this fight. And I've never seen Godzilla do that before. It was kind of neat. Yeah. Um, they both look really good. Like their, they do. their rendering they do. is, it's probably, I mean, obviously it's the best we've seen because it's the newest thing. But it yeah. really is. They do look really good. Um, I was worried that it was going to be a little too like. When I say little too CGI, it's where it, there's an abundance and it doesn't look that great. This is yeah. There's quite a bit of CGI, but it looks really good. Yeah, every every shot looks good. Yeah. Which if you've ever seen a Peter Jackson film, yeah. um, that isn't always That's the case. That's not always uh, the some case. Of those- some of those Hobbit movies, Ooh. from from shot to shot, look pretty fucking raggedy. The, I think the goofiest thing, besides uh, the, those weird 90s uh, in Fellowship of the Ring when Frodo is stabbed and he kind of black, he whites out, and we have like just like a weird, uh, you get, I can't think of his name, Elrond, uh, a fucking elf, but it, it, it's really stupid what they do. What he does in that movie, but there is a scene. I think it's in Two Towers where Legolas is shooting arrows, and it goes from uh, 
what's his name? Orlando Bloom to CGI Orlando Bloom and he like flips and goes onto a horse and it's one of the dumbest things I've ever it still to this day I'm like I don't know why he even tried to do that. Have you do you remember that she, that shot at all? Mm, it doesn't doesn't ring a bell oh, but I do remember some of that uh, Return of the King uh, surfing Legolas stuff looking kind of raggedy. <laughs> uh you know what I'm I'm going to disagree with you on the surfing Legolas cuz that was that was practical. That was him. That was somebody actually going downstairs on a surfboard on a on a shield. <laughs> well, it wasn't that Twin Towers or the Two Towers rather? I think that's Two Towers. Return of the King I'm talking about him on the giant mammoth thing. Oh yeah 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 yeah. What, what, yeah what, what, you know what yeah, I'm talking that, about. <laughs> you just didn't want to yeah. admit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. This, this is probably the the worst. Uh, this is probably the worst CGI I think I've ever seen in a movie. Like it's pretty. Bad. It's well, the so wor- bad. The worst shot I know of in a Peter Jackson film, off the top of my head, and that we're talking about hours and hours and hours of cinema, uh, is from the second Hobbit movie. It's the River of Gold. Oh um, my god! <laughs> my god! <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, both the monsters in this film, well, all the monsters in this film, rather, uh, every shot looks looks like it was well curated. Looks like it looks like all the work and time that needed to be put towards them was done. Um, and by the way, this film is, I think, just shy of two hours. Yeah, um, I, I think that was a conscious decision on the part of the director and the studio, and it was probably a very good one because uh, it's the shortest monsterverse movie, um, and it should be based on the content of it but um yeah some of the facial shots of of these two monsters in particular they're very very expressive and the texturing is just lovely and also it helps that um i actually really didn't care for it during the human scenes um i know adam wingard has a has a boner for the you know the throwback 80s aesthetic um clearly he's seen tron at least once um, (laughs) at least based on the design of the heave vehicles and stuff I really didn't care for the neon lighting during the human dialogue scenes. I found it kind of, it irked me because it, it, it stood out too much and it was distracting. Um, like like in the Chinese restaurant when mm. Millie Bobby Brown and, and Julian Dennison and Brian Tyree Henry are having their discussion in there. It's just like, why would you sit there? Fuck. It always feels <laughs> like, like Punisher War Zone to me. That, it always just reminds me of that. Yeah, but that's a you know that's a comic book movie, yeah. and you know all the characters in that are comic book characters. Whereas this is just literally a boring conversation, and we're trying to make it interesting by bathing it in like gross neon light. But it's like it almost made me think of that episode of Seinfeld where uh, the the fried chicken the uh, restaurant red light opens up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like it's burning my brain. <laughs> Doesn't Jerry go out into the hall and like the light is like on his forehead going through the people? <laughs> He turns into Kramer, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it yeah. reminded me of that, where it's just like it's disgusting. Like it's it's just too much. And like the Apex facility, same deal. It's just like gross red neon light, just like all over everybody's face, such that nobody really looks human anymore. Um, however, you can toss all of my negative comments there out the window when we get to Hong Kong and the monsters are going at it because the neon lighting there looks terrific. Yeah. Like and and on in that sense, you know, you could forgive some of the comments I just made because it makes it it makes the visual aesthetic of the film cohesive, where it's like regardless of whether we're dealing with human elements or CGI monster elements, the look and feel of the film is fairly consistent. Um, but yeah, some of the lighting in the Hong Kong sequence is 
spectacular in particular what kyle was talking to uh talking about um the final portion of the godzilla versus kong fight uh where we get close-ups of both monsters faces and they both look terrific and godzilla in particular is like bathed in red to make him look more menacing and domineering but um it's kind of interesting the way this battle comes to a conclusion because actually (laughs) it's a weird thing to say but uh it feels like the conclusion of like a real fight where it happens actually fairly suddenly we're just like Godzilla gets one opening and that's kind of all it takes. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not very dramatic actually. <laughs> like, like the actual finale of it absolutely is, but the lead up to it, it's just like, Oh, okay. Well, he just had to get, he just had to get in a good position one time and that's all it takes. Well, you can't have the finale cause it's not the finale. There's more fighting to be had. It's just, you're not sure how the rest of it's going to play out. So you can't have finale into the fight and then another finale into the fight. Yeah, no, I I get what you mean. Plus, plus he can't like wreck his shit too badly (laughs) because he does have more stuff to do. But yeah, I I commented that Godzilla knows judo (laughs) because at one point Kong is like grappling with him and like has him and it looks like he's trying to choke him and Godzilla just bites him on the forearm and like shoulder tosses him (laughs) over him on like hip tosses him like onto his back. And then this is where Godzilla's stalking behavior comes in where he actually it's kind of neat because what we what we learn from this final exchange between the two monsters is that Godzilla has more weapons like there's no way around it where Kong has fists he has feet that he can't he can use but they're not his best weapons he mostly has his arms he has teeth but Godzilla's hide is probably too tough to you know make use of those whereas Godzilla has spines he has jaws he's got his claws he's got he's got big old thick thighs yeah (laughs) and he's got a tail and in this final stretch of the fight he makes use of all of it like he bites him on the forearm he whips him with his tail and when kong is on the ground godzilla just starts clawing at him he just like tears his chest up um and it just demonstrates that's like oh shit yeah he he's got more guns than him um and yeah the, the battle comes to an end with godzilla standing on his chest and we get that trailer moment of Godzilla bellowing in his fucking face (laughs) and it goes on like a few beats longer than you would expect it to and Kong kind of responds and we we don't actually know what was said between the two monsters but we can we can guess that it was basically it's almost like you haven't seen it but the end of Bloodsport where Van Damme has Chong Lee in a headlock and he's like threatening to break his neck and he's like say it say it (laughs) (laughs) and basically he's saying like submit Mm. and and he says mate like wait i tap out and so it, you can basically infer that kong tapped basically yeah. and he does actually try to get up afterwards but he falls right back down yeah he, also his shoulder gets dislocated from that hip toss i didn't even notice that yeah but don't worry uh uh alexander scars guard uses the uh the shuttle to uh bring him back to life somehow yeah um by the way uh, gia has been talking to kong through sign language throughout the entire movie um there's a couple of like heartfelt moments where um when they're convincing kong to lead them to the hollow earth uh they force her to like tell him a little bit of a white lie it's not a lie but it's, it's just like withholding yeah it's a probably yeah. they they withhold information so the way they convince him is uh, by the way they're in the arctic when they do that and alexander skarsgård does rightfully point out that he can't live here yeah. like there's no food and he's cold and 
um, all credit to the animators and the performance capture people. When we see, you know, a giant ape in the snow shivering, you you, you do feel things. Yeah. Right. He, like he he's unhappy in that like quiet great ape sort of way where it's like oh, <laughs> sad monkey. <laughs> but uh, basically, what she tells him is that your family might probably there are, are probably <laughs> down that down that tunnel um so right there that creates more empathy for the for the monster there where it's like oh he's he's working for us and you know we may not actually get him anything he may not get anything out of this deal but um yeah uh, Ezo gonzalez had some lines of dialogue earlier in the film about how powerful the engines were for the for the heave vehicles i think she says like they could light up vegas for a week um and he recalls that um so he like overloads the engine or something to like defibrillate the giant monkey basically yeah it's kind of cute it, it's very much in the spirit of these kinds of movies but in the meantime mechagodzilla has activated and like i said we had that whole sequence where maybe king Ghidorah is controlling the robot Maybe it just developed sentience, and now we should all feel really bad about the fact that we kill it instantly. <laughs> I think because it kills the command center, like it shoots at the command center, I'm going to assume it's being controlled by that skeleton. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the movie doesn't bother to tell us either way. I don't think they yeah. know for sure either. Like, I think this is something that we could say happens. Fuck it. Yeah, uh... but... As soon as it comes online, Shun Oguri is supposed to be piloting it. And like I said, he actually does express concern about activating it so soon. He's like, maybe we should run some tests. Maybe it's not a good idea just now. Um, but Damien Bashir says, fuck you, get in the chair. Yeah. <laughs> and he does. Um, and then his brains melt. Um, but the very first thing Mechagodzilla does when it comes online is punches Damien Bashir's office uh, into oblivion. And he gets an oh shit moment, which is you know what you do in these kinds of movies where he's in the middle of his bad guy speech and then yeah. he turns around oh shit this is why you never make a bad guy speech because you're gonna die if you make the bad guy speech yeah it's like the incredibles how they point out like maybe capes aren't a good idea <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah don't do a bad guy speech unless uh you have your back to a wall or something <laughs> or yeah make sure to like do a 360 just just Observe your surroundings. Just make sure there's no one with a knife in the or room. If you have sharks with laser beams attached to their heads, make sure you throw them directly into the pool and not slowly lower them into it. Yeah. We have sea bass. Sea bass. Uh, mutated sea bass. <laughs> they yeah. are foul tempered. They are foul tempered. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Mechagodzilla kills all the bad guys. Uh, so it, now it, it pairs everything down to like, okay, now literally all we have to worry about is the big robot, not not Apex and all those men with guns who we've seen in the background of every shot. Hmm. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, Mechagodzilla comes out of a mountain, uh, which <laughs> it, in, in, a, in Hong Kong, that is kind of the geography of the region. Yeah. Like there is, like, mountains right there. But he, he just, like, walks out of the mountain yeah. and into into the city, which is half destroyed at this point <laughs> it's pretty destroyed yeah 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 and then he just starts uh spraying uh red laser beam breath into all the buildings around him so basically it's telling us straight up that like uh yeah he's he's unapologetically just bad like he he has nothing good in his, his intentions um i this is the problem with introducing a villain this late in your film and yeah. actually i think it's interesting that uh I, I I'm amazed I haven't mentioned it yet, but uh, Junkie XL, uh, aka Tom Holkenborg, uh, composed the score for this film. 
he also did the score for Mad Max Fury Road um, and Batman vs. Superman. Uh, he did a portion of that score, um, as well as Zack Snyder's cut of the Justice League. And before this movie came out, as soon as I saw his name attached to it, I got kind of nervous because his scores tend to be very samey. Um, and in particular, I think it's funny that uh, the conclusion of Batman versus Superman with Doomsday showing up in the, the very, very last act, the last reel of the movie uh, kind of matches the, the flow of this movie where it's like we have two, two title characters' names on the marquee. They has fight. And then at the very last minute, the very last minute, some external force shows up for both of them to punch. Um, same composer. And unfortunately, the score sounds very, very, very similar to most things he's done. Um, and actually, I had this weird thing that I, I don't know if you get this, Kyle. I'm sure you don't. Um, and part of that is because, A, you're a musical person. You've played music in your lifetime. And you know you know what it is to play the same thing 10,000 times like, and not get bored of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know what it is to play the same thing 10,000 times and have it sound different every time. Um, and not only that, you go to live music shows when we're not in quarantine and stuff. Yes. Uh, so your 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 ears are tuned to hear to accept differences in familiar pieces of music. Mm-hmm. My ears are not because I I'm I'm a hobo <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a hermit <laughs> I, I I don't I don't go out to shows and stuff. So I have this habit of latching on to like the first or the preferred iteration of a piece of music and mm-hmm. then. When I hear different versions of the same thing, my brain processes it as like an aberration. It's like, oh, that's unacceptable. That doesn't sound right. Gotcha. Instead of viewing it as just, you know, just that, a different version of the same thing. What I'm getting at here is that Tom Holkenborg, a.k.a. Junkie XL, made, I think, the questionable decision to compose the score of his film um, paying homage to Godzilla themes that have come prior to this film. Okay. But, but not using the same composition so he made unique compositions but they're meant to be very similar and evocative of what came before okay and so my brain is trying to fill in the the quote-unquote missing notes while i'm hearing these things that sound familiar and i'm i'm unable to accept it as a as a a wholly different piece of music and it, it confuses my brain and irritates me so it's it's like derivative but not quite enough that you can see like you 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 know that there's inspiration but it's not derivative enough it sounds like a bad rendition of something that i i know and like yeah okay but it's actually an entirely different thing but sounds so similar that my brain processes it as like oh that's just bad (laughs) i remember uh i did not notice the score one time in this movie uh didn't that's a problem with his scores is they all sound the same except for fury road that is a phenomenal score. I don't remember the score in Fury. I've seen that movie several times. I, I could not tell you the music in that movie. Next time you watch that movie, pay attention to the music that plays when uh, Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron like finally start working together. Okay. It's excellent. It's See, excellent. there's like there's too much visual stimuli in that movie to where I'm like I can't I can't pay attention to anything else. Like I, I'm oh. I can't hear. Uh, but I I know what you mean, and there. I think there's a movie that I'm thinking of where the first movie had an icon, like the first movie had the score and either it was a different director took over the second or third installment of the movie, but they tried to keep the same um, energy from that 
uh, from that f- original score, and it's just like this doesn't sound right, and I don't like what you're I don't like what you're doing. <laughs> it doesn't it it you're expecting it to be you're expecting it to have certain notes, and it's not giving you that. I know that feeling. I know exactly what you're talking okay. about. Okay, I'm 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 glad you can you can level with me on that. I wasn't sure though because I, I do think it is a thing that comes with uh, being accustomed to like studio recordings as opposed to live music. Mm. Because anytime you hear a live performance, it is going to be different from what you hear on the radio. Well, it depends on who you're seeing. <laughs> Unless they're like an incredibly consistent, you know, musician. I've seen I've seen bands perform live where I'm like, I like this band on on my phone like listening to it and I'm like you guys are great there but it does not sound good here guys but then I've seen bands live where I'm like this is so much better than anything that I've heard them do on my phone or I'll, I'll see a band where it's like it sounds the exact same like it's it, it's just as good okay well um it's funny enough I actually have a, a way of summing up Junkie XL's uh composition style mm. and it's a drum cadence a percussion cadence is just that it's that yep it Batman Mad Max this pretty much any movie you know he's worked on now that you mentioned that I can hear Mad Max I can I can I can see it now yeah 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 and the 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 piece of music from from Godzilla history that he decided to reference um, is very clearly like uh, it's it was introduced in King Kong versus Godzilla so good pick if you're gonna pick one um, but it's usually a piece of music that's reserved for when Godzilla is like uh, portrayed in an antagonistic light. It was heavily used in uh, Godzilla versus Mothra when he's like destroying Japan and stuff. And he was definitely the bad guy in that movie. But like I said, the composition is different such that my brain is trying to fill in the missing notes. And it, it, like it's really distracting. <laughs> but. It's an okay composition. It like it's too similar to everything he's done before, and it was very much a disappointment for me because I I kind of shower those all of the other monster first movies with praise. Um, I can't remember the the composer for 2014, but it was a French fellow that um, he made the bold move of composing it a entirely unique score. He created a new Godzilla theme just for that movie. It's never been used again. All of it was fantastic. Um, Bear McCrary did King of the Monsters. Um, he actually straight up explicitly referenced previous compositions. Uh, he made every fanboy in the world and fangirl uh, in the world very, very happy by using the Godzilla March at very key moments in that movie. Um, uh, Henry Jackman did Kong Skull Island, and that was that was quite the find. Um, Henry Jackman is one of the the better blockbuster composers we have working today. Uh, he did uh, Captain America, Winter Soldier, and Civil War. Um, he did X-Men First Class. Um, he may have done um, The Kingsman. I can't recall. But he's a very, very, very talented composer. And uh, he did really, really, really good work for Kong Skull Island. Like, some of the th- some of the action cues in that movie are phenomenal. But this one's just kind of like, yeah. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're doing that well, again? Okay. <laughs> think about you. Think about your audience compared to the compared to that one, like 2014. It was a bit more adult, and we're kicking we're kicking off Godzilla again, guys. And this, it's like this is for the kids. And like, eh, get the guy from the thing. It doesn't matter. 
Send in the car. Send in the car. <laughs> <laughs> well, ac- yeah, actually, the way you, you can think of these movies is Godzilla 2014 was we're going to try something completely different. Mm-hmm. Godzilla's been away for a decade. Let's take a, let's take a you know f- new, fresh perspective on things. Uh, this is a bit of a gamble. We'll see if it works out. It did. Yeah. King of the Monsters, now that it's worked out, let's go back to the let's go back to basics and just make everybody happy mm-hmm. um it pissed off some people because of the cinematography there's a little bit too much uh color color grading going on color adjustments where like everything's color coded everything has a, like an unnatural glow to it mm-hmm. um king Ghidorah having a perpetual storm surrounding him is a little frustrating from a visual perspective versus like you know it'd be nice to be able to see the grandeur of these monsters you know without having to look through a fucking fart cloud the entire time um and then this one is just like it's for the kids you know it's like it's advertised as godzilla versus kong let's give them that for the kids about three times yeah it's for the kids for the kids (laughs) for the children children. um but yeah mega godzilla um how did you feel about Uh, this i think it goes first second third as far as the fights go uh this was kind of quick sloppy um i appreciate what they were trying to do it's like we can't have these two i think it's a creative way for them to be on the same side at the end of the movie because i'm like how are they going to pull this off i that's why i think this movie works is like okay it was pretty well thought out and it makes enough sense that this this is how it works out <clears throat> because yeah they they get into a fight with mechagodzilla and i think scars guard like like juices him back up and the little girl has to explain to him like hey you gotta help him out because this thing is gonna fucking kill everybody so king kong's like oh all right Uh, i I liked his reaction he actually bellows he's like oh man (laughs) he's just like (laughs) really damn it (laughs) are you fucking serious fucking broad uh he's like yeah they they team up to get the mecha godzilla i like how uh they Kong keeps trying to do his face rip, and he tries to. I've told I've told you that before, man. Kong has a thing about mouths. I mean, it's a it's a good move. Like he's. It, I mean, it's consistent since the '30s. Like he goes for the fucking jaws. Well, it it's makes a thing. It makes sense. <laughs> it's like the weakest part of a very strong, uh, like a very strong animal. Uh, no, I mean, even even you know the the swamp the swamp people. Like if you if you close an alligator's jaws, the muscles that open them are far weaker than the ones that close them. Mm-hmm. So if you take his primary weapon away, yeah, you're one step ahead. What you're gonna do, uh, yeah. but yeah, he keeps trying. He kept trying to do it to Godzilla, and I think Godzilla kept like trying to burn him with his breath. <laughs> I think. Yeah. So he's trying to. I think he tries to do it to Mecha Godzilla a couple times, and same same problem. Um, but yeah, I like them working as a team. It's fun. Yeah, the the opening bit of the fight is Mechagodzilla just literally comes out of a mountain, and Godzilla's like, "Oh, I just cleaned up that monkey, but oh, I don't even know who you are, but yeah. I'm gonna fuck you up." Yeah. and it, he doesn't he doesn't <laughs> succeed. Um, actually, it's I'm gonna jam my thumb in your eye, bitch. <laughs> actually, I was like the entire time I was watching all the monsters fight in this movie, I was like, you you could just you could just take dialogue from any World Star video or something <laughs> and, and, and overlay it, and it would be right at home yeah yeah <laughs> it would fit perfectly. pretty fun yeah um but yeah um shockingly enough uh, mechagodzilla appears to be quite a bit larger than either of the monsters in this a big boy um but that's part of the problem with the presentation of him uh it too little too late is the phrase that comes to mind 
is that he shows up at the last minute and we got no time for nothing so he he literally shows up and starts fighting dude like there's there's no introduction he just comes out swinging i feel like this would have been a good like uh like you have them fighting like you had the two of them fighting uh king kong and godzilla you repump him and then mecha godzilla makes his entrance and it's like bam movie's over like that's what's going to start the next one and then dealing with that i thought that would be i think that would have been a little bit more fun because it's not a big payoff it's like he comes in two minutes later he's defeated uh because somebody pours pepsi on a keyboard yeah uh, that so let, let me just get into that real quick so one thing that like i actually had to put on my thinking cap for a second and i could be wrong but i don't think i am because I, I know my godzilla um i don't think godzilla has ever gotten like a straight up legit win over mecha godzilla in like the half dozen or so times they've gone toe to toe like first time they fought each other godzilla had a buddy uh, much like in this one he had king caesar backing him up and i think there was some human shenanigans going on basically pouring pepsi on a control panel so right there mecha godzilla has more than one monster in front of him and some human elements doing some shenanigans terror of mecha godzilla uh godzilla also had the help of humans um there was a like a human cyborg that was controlling Mechagodzilla in that film that they kill, which causes Mechagodzilla's controls to go down, and Godzilla takes advantage of the opening and kills him. Um, also, that was a two-on-one fight against Godzilla, so I guess, you know, it evened out. And then, like, in the 90s, uh, Godzilla gets, like, a power boost from Rodan, the, uh, the pterodactyl monster, uh, much like Mothra did in King of the Monsters for Godzilla against Ghidorah. Um, and that was how he ultimately defeated Mechagodzilla. Um, so he had help from an external force. Uh, in the 2000s, he actually gets beaten by Mechagodzilla. Um, and then in the I'm going to take your word for se- I'm going to take your word on all of this because I, <laughs> I have no idea. And in the, in the one after that, I think it was also a stalemate. And then in the animated films, which I haven't seen, I don't even know what happened there. So maybe maybe there was a legit win there, but. As far as I understand, Godzilla's never actually just beaten him one on one fair in a fair fight. But the problem with this really is the timing. Is that um, this is where they could have taken a page out of the King of the Monsters handbook, where it's like this movie hasn't been about grand entrances and stuff. It's about it's about action. Like the film is made with the understanding that everyone watching it knows who Godzilla is. They know who Kong is. So now all we need to do is slam them together and watch what happens. Um, but when you introduce Mechagodzilla, we need to give him some breathing room to like flex his muscles and show why we should be in awe of him, why we should care about how cool he is. But we never get that. And in fact, this is kind of the lamest version of the character. He's portrayed as probably the most powerful Mechagodzilla, um, just in terms of him being like a head taller than both monsters and seemingly being powerful enough to, you know, wipe the mat with both of them. Uh, but the things he does are so basic. Like, you, you've seen Terror of Mechagodzilla. I don't remember like the, it. I saw it about the same time that I saw Gamera. So the two are, like, spliced together. <laughs> They're very different things. Yeah. But, but, the, well, but the, no- yeah. the novelty of Mechagodzilla has always been... Uh, he's, he's a Swiss army knife. Mm-hmm. He, has, he has tools for everything. And the novelty of watching him do his thing is that it, it's like... It's like you get to go through a series of bullet points of all the cool shit he can do. And once you've exhausted those bullet points, then you can kill him. <laughs> um, but up until then, it's just like, 
oh, let's just watch all the cool things this robot can do. This robot in this film, this 2021 production, literally all he does is uh, breathe, breathe a red beam of energy and shoot missiles. And he has thrusters on his back. He can't fly, unlike almost every other version of Mechagodzilla. But he's got missiles and a beam. It's, That's it. it's a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the 90s iteration. It's one of those monsters that they have to, to control the big monster to fight. Yeah, it, he's, he's a monster of the week. He doesn't feel terribly well thought out. Like he just doesn't have as many gadgets as one would hope. And personally, uh, my personal taste, I, I'm not a big fan of of a big robot monster being like that down with fisticuffs. Mm-hmm. Like he's straight up wrestling with Godzilla. Yeah. And he's throwing his weight. Like there's a part where he has Godzilla by the nape of his neck, and he's just like banging his head into buildings. Why don't they hook? Fi- why don't they hook Mike Tyson up to him? I like, hook Mike Tyson's like brain up to it and have him like have him box well, yeah, him. No, yeah. You mean like like real steel? Like, like have someone actually do the move, human movements yeah. with the robot? Yeah. I mean, that would have been cool. That's what I was expecting. Like if you're going to have a pilot for Mechagodzilla, maybe have him actually do some piloting, but no, they killed him before he could do any of that. Um but yeah, somehow this robot knows intrinsically to how to throw haymakers do grappling moves and lots of kicks and tail whips and stuff mechagodzilla in in most of the movies not all of them you know in in the classic version he was like a missile platform like he could like chop you with his fingers that don't move like he could just like slap you and then shoot shit at you but if you got close to him you could wreck his shit this one he's just like a big brute that like he has this beam he uses it occasionally but most of the time he's just like doing fucking clotheslines and irish whips and stuff yeah. um but yeah he beats the piss out of godzilla and they have the classic beam collision moment where they godzilla breathes his fire he breathes his red beam and he overpowers godzilla like singes his chest it's kind of cool looking um if they do make a sequel it'd be kind of nice to preserve that just as a design element but yeah at some point when it seems like all is lost for godzilla they do revive kong kong gets in there he gets the axe um and the two monsters very handily beat the beat the shit out of him. Beat the brakes off of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they beat the shit out of him. What's kind of funny about this fight is that Godzilla is totally ineffectual. Wow. <laughs> like all he does is tie up Mecha Godzilla Kong with the axe, mind you, mm-hmm. is the one that does all the work. But Godzilla, like every time he tries to get a hit in, he just gets thrown aside or something. <laughs> and he's just completely fucking worthless. Well yeah, they're trying to fight a Terminator. Yeah, yeah. And they they don't do the great job, but eventually, um, like Kong gets pinned, and Mechagodzilla has his drill tail, which is a new thing. He's never had that before, and he's like trying to put it in Kong's eyeball. Yeah. Um, but then, like Kyle said, they pour some fucking Pepsi on a control panel. Our uh, well, pro Godzilla squad. They finally, finally, after two hours, do something. Well, I'm sorry, it wasn't <laughs> Pepsi. There is. I found zero product placement in this movie, and I don't think there's any product placement in the other two. I can't think of anything that was like I generally catch it. Like that's something that like it after a while it's hard to miss. It's like the Coke, uh fucking that, 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 vitamin water, whatever. But yeah, it's actually so that podcaster, I guess his wife died and he has a flask of really good scotch that he keeps in a single malt liquor. Yeah. He keeps in a gun holster, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then he's just like Whenever I'm gonna die, I'm gonna drink this. And like, okay, so whenever this battle's going on outside, he's like, "Well, this seems like a good time." 
and the fucking Kiwi kid just fucking pours it on the keyboard, and Mechagodzilla like glitches a little bit, and then they're able to get the drop on him. Yeah, that that's a thing. Like I said, Godzilla almost always always has some form of help uh, to defeat Mechagodzilla, so I wasn't like bothered by that. But yeah, they spend like the entire fight trying to hack a computer. Uh, this Kiwi kid just they they sit him down and say hack. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like. Okay, we just, that's actually something I'm sure is on the cutting room floor, like some more detail about he and Millie Bobby Brown's uh, friendship, uh, because, and the reason I assume that's the case is because of the van, mm-hmm. uh, so he he pulls up to her house with Breaking the Law by Judas Priest playing, I was like, I approve, mm-hmm. um, but the van is, is like the fucking ghostbusters like ecto-1 like it like it's got like radar dishes on it and he's tinkering with some sort of robot or something in the back of the van and none of that is used in the story at all see it's all just window dressing i see i thought i mean i can i forgot about that portion of it so when he sits down to type i'm like they just assume that every kid now knows how to hack i'm like unless he's unless he's a pc gamer i'm like i'm not too confident about that xbox dudes i'm like those guys don't know their way around they don't know they don't know shit (laughs) you know a lot about technology like i could turn on an xbox yeah, actually, that would have been a funny line of dialogue. Be like, you're a kid, you know how to hack. <laughs> it's like, no, he does actually have a good reply. He does say, like, no, I mostly just do this to pirate movies online. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's fine. Sure, yeah, eventually... you're, you're 17, that's what you're doing online. Yeah. Sure, sure, that's sure. what you're pirating. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he he pours, he pours the, uh, the liquor on the control panel it's not pepsi yeah. um i didn't see any pepsi or coke in i didn't movie, see any product placement yeah i didn't my radar didn't blip for any of that Mm-mm. but surprisingly enough uh, for this huge movie but um yeah mega godzilla gets stalled and uh we have a power high five from the two monsters yeah in the form of godzilla <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a bro high five they fucking dab <laughs> each other real quick yeah <laughs> I would not have been surprised at all. Honestly, if that it happened. could have happened. Yeah. It could have happened. Um, Jesus. And basically, Godzilla breathes fire onto Kong's axe, which charges it up and uh, gives him enough strength to dice <laughs> Mecha Godzilla to pieces. It would have been better if they did a Bill and Ted. Uh, <laughs> 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 You'd have to play the sound effect yeah. over it. I, think, I would <laughs> actually, if they did that, I would approve. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the performance capture studio like while you're doing the motion capture i'm sure they did shit like that yeah. i would do shit if i had the you know the the little white balls and the yeah. and the gray leotard on i would <laughs> i think that is actually a more like a more impressive form of acting because i feel like part of you has to be conscious that there are a ton of people watching you do this but i watch benedict cumberbatch do his smog uh, stuff I'm impressive like, it's not only is it impressive i'm like the goal like the fucking like I, to actually go through performing that and taking that seriously i'm like hats off dude that's impressive I, yeah you have to have you have to be very secure with yourself or fucking crazy yes those are the two i mean that describes a lot of actor types um, but yeah personally I, I it's one of my favorite forms of performance and or acting um that's actually one reason why i'm a little bit excited for venom 2 there's a second um, one yeah they greenlit it because it actually did make a lot of money huh. and sony is 
clinging to (laughs) Spider-Mans. They have the death grip on Spider-Mans because, you know, Disney really wants Spider-Mans. They are. Sony's like, nope, joint custody, motherfucker. They are (laughs) piloting a helicopter and holding Venom out. Like, Venom's just (laughs) hanging off the side and they are holding on for dear life. Yeah, they got that Sylvester Stallone cliffhanger grip. <laughs> actually, never. not that. That's not a good grip. Uh, I was gonna say Arnold. In yeah, True that's Lies. actually a really bad. <laughs> <That's> a really <laughs> bad. They did that with Spider Man, I think. Uh, <laughs> not Spider Man. Uh, amazing Spider Man. Yeah, amazing Spider. The uh, it's more like Arnold in True Lies with uh, there you what's go. her face. Thank you. Yeah, better example. Yeah. Cliffhanger didn't really go so hot. <laughs> actually, it went really bad. <laughs> About as bad as it can. I remember that was the first movie death I ever saw was Cliffhanger. Oh, that's traumatic. It was because I'm like, holy, what? She acted the shit out of that scene. It's it's yeah, it's pretty terrifying. It's it's, it's bad. Yeah, like, it's it's a rough one. I remember I mean, that. I mean, I mean, you get to see the fall and everything. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> but yeah, they are making a Venom two, and it is directed by one Andy Serkis. Really? Yes. And that's actually why I'm kind of excited about it. Yeah. Because you got Woody Harrelson as Carnage. Yes. Um, you get Always Woody Harrelson. Car- Always Woody Harrelson, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Woody Harrelson as Carnage, and Tom Hardy will be back as Venom. It's fine. But you have the king of performance capture at the direct in the director's seat. Yeah. Who else so knows it better? Have... Exactly. So in my mind, that could lead to some good things. So, you know, I, I, could, I probably am going to be totally wrong, but I'm kind of excited to see that. I could see it being good. I mean, you think he's he's probably pretty good friends with Peter Jackson too, so he might get some good he's, pointers about. Yeah, maybe he can uh, get an in with uh, Weta Studios and have them tune up some of the animation or something. That's uh, I. You know what? Maybe, I have faith. Right? You know, I have faith. I have. Faith. I, I choose to have faith. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Mechagodzilla is beheaded by Kong via the charged axe, and uh, we get a really awesome moment. Where, by the way, I. I I haven't said enough about Kong's body language, but when he's in fight mode, it's hard not to like get like get hyped behind him because you know the the timing of like his chest pounds and stuff. And there's that really lovely beat where a huge part of the first stanza of the Hong Kong fight is Godzilla disarming him, like taking the axe away from him um, and like throwing it away and stuff. And at one point, the axe gets like lodged in a skyscraper above Kong, and he's like using one hand to like beat his chest. And then without looking, he just grabs the axe and it's like, yeah! (laughs) It's hard to see that and not get kind of hype. And yeah, when he takes Mechagodzilla's head, my initial gut reaction to this as a a Godzilla fan was to be a little disappointed to see my boy get his ass beaten to the ground by Mechagodzilla, not land a single blow of significance in the fight. Um and then have Kong be the guy who ultimately defeats him. But then, in retrospect, it's like, you know, this was Kong's movie, and he needed a win. Like, yeah. like really, like in in the grand scheme of things, like in in terms of putting together a satisfying product, you can't have this ape who we're supposed to be sympathizing and empathizing with for two hours never get us never get like a really important win because we do get to see him like kill that cobra monster. Which is cool. Mm. I really like that because it's a reminder that it's like, yeah, you're supposed to feel for the ape, but you're also supposed to remember that he can beat some ass yeah. if he needs to. And he he gets that ass. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, he smashes that thing into oblivion. Yeah. And he he drinks from its soul afterwards, which is pretty great. Um, but yeah, him killing Mechagodzilla felt like 
you know, gut reaction was disappointment, but then I was like, yeah, he he needed that because he got he got beat. He took his licks throughout the entire well, movie, and he needed a big win at the end. Godzilla beat King Kong, so you get to be happy about that. Like he did, he, he did beat him. Yeah, he definitive. He actually did beat him, yeah. which we have never gotten before in, in the '62 version. That was pretty much a stalemate. There you go, your boy won. Yeah, my boy won, so I, I get that. But yeah, he takes off the head and he holds the head up to the heavens and there's like oil guts spewing out of it and he's <laughs> super jacked about it. And then immediately he takes a seat because he is dead tired. Yeah. But, oh, by the way, he Martin rigs his shoulder before the final battle. I did not it's, see that. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I did not see that. Oh, I was pretty, like, it's dumb, but I was, you know, I popped for that. So Godzilla dislocates his shoulder when he does the hip toss on him. Um, and then when he's revived by Skarsgård, it's still out of its socket. So he gets up and he actually like bangs his shoulder against a skyscraper and you hear a crick. And it's like, yeah, that's Martin Riggs yeah. <laughs> as, a, as an ape. You Martin Riggs? Matt, Matt and Riggs? Yes, of the Chicago Riggses. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, we get a final exchange between the, between the two monsters that I actually found very, very satisfying. So... Mechagodzilla's dead. Uh, all the human parties reunite. We don't really care. But um, Kyle Chandler Kong. tells the Kiwi to shut up, which is really yeah. which is funny. <laughs> that was pretty She funny. made me do it. <laughs> shut up! <laughs> tells the show, it's nice. Yeah. Like, shut up, Sean. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's akin to it. Shut up, Wesley. <laughs> fucking Wesley Crusher. <laughs> eh, uh, yeah, he needed it. He needed it occasionally. I'm... Oh, I love every time he's told to shut up. <laughs> Not a big fan of that kid, but um, uh, what's really cool, though, is that the fight's over and uh, Godzilla starts roaring at Kong, who... You know, like I said, just he just popped a squat because he's exhausted. So he immediately picks up his axe and he's like, "What now?" And Kong, and Godzilla's just bellowing at him and like taking up a, a aggressive posture. And we get this moment that's really reflective of the characterizations of the two. And what I got from this is that as long as there are as long as there is a fight to be fought, Godzilla will just keep coming. Like like his mission in life is forever just to be king of the mountain, mm-hmm. no matter what. And he king has that dumb reptilian king brain, king of the mountain, <laughs> where it's like regardless of whatever bodily harm he might incur, he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, he is singularly focused on being king of the monsters. Yeah, he is. Whereas Kong is portrayed as being a thinking creature who we've seen sign and like talk to humans and stuff. And also, you know, take into account the lives and fates of others. So, like like I said, we get that moment where he looks inside the vehicle to check to see if the little girl's in there. Because he cares about her. He cares about things beyond himself. Godzilla does not. Yeah. <laughs> Godzilla's so we get any the... Joe Pesci character where he's in the mob, basically. Yeah, funny how. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, fucking, I'll fucking hit you in the head again and go back to prison. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he he totally is that. He is a he is a pit bull that will never be sh- never be shook loose. Yeah, uh, he'll just keep coming back. Um, and we get that moment where Kong has the axe in hand and he pauses for a moment and he willfully drops it. And something that Rebecca Hall was saying, speaking for the monster, was that Kong bows to nobody. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, he just fucking did on like metaphorically. For- <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he didn't actually bow physically, yeah. but he he dropped the axe, and it can be you could Im- imply that it's like it's for almost like a greater good kind of thing. Yeah, it's like he's he's big enough to admit that this 
this shit ain't worth it. Yeah. And Godzilla, he, like, looks at the axe, kind of like a dog, actually, where it's, like, if you gesture in a certain direction, a dog, like, follows your hand because they're like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, like, bellows at it, and then he just casually turns towards the ocean and goes out to sea. Did you, like Godzilla does. I was going to say, did you like that Godzilla just goes back to the ocean? It's a good, I mean, it's it's a good way just to get him out of the, the shot. Like, yeah, just go back to the ocean. No, it's a it's a staple of the character. Yeah. Like it, and it actually is consistent with the metaphor of him being like a force of nature or like a nuclear disaster or something. Where it's like just as quickly as it came, it just it just leaves without regard for consequence. So Godzilla is that shitty house guest that you know <laughs> uh, does a keg stand and flips all your furniture, pees in the corner, and then leaves <laughs> without helping to clean up at all. Yeah, I know people like that. I'm sure you do. <laughs> um, but yeah, he he just does his Godzilla exit, just leaves the entirely flattened Hong Kong without regard for anything. And uh, very quickly, we get to the conclusion of the film where we see everybody happy. Like It seems like Skarsgård and Rebecca Hall are not necessarily a couple, but they're working together now, Yeah, which is kind of cool. So his career seems back on track because he did mention that his was kind of floundering. Like he was working in a basement office at that university. Maybe. I don't know. His plan did bring the the King Kong to, you know, to where he could do property damage. So he might True. he might be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> He's in work prison. Yeah. It's like you're you're a science man. Do science without pay yeah. for the rest of your life. Work prison, <laughs> <It's>, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we do see that Kong is now instead of being held at the skull island enclosure he lives in the hollow earth and they they have set up like some sort of station there where they can observe him and he can maintain contact with gia the little girl uh but yeah he's like happily like ruler of the hollow earth domain while godzilla remains presumably in the ocean on the surface yeah Uh, so happy for everybody but i do think it's kind of curious that uh because mechagodzilla is added so late into the mix like all the human characters don't even know what it is, other th- other than Millie Bobby Brown's crew. Like they they know what it is, but like Rebecca Hall and Skarsgård, they don't know what the fuck that big robot thing mm-hmm. is. They don't know who made it or for what reason. Um, but apparently, they just deduce that it's bad, presumably because it has red eyes. <laughs> um, I would suspect that since we've already had all the monsters, like we've already had all that, like most of the Godzilla monsters come that I know of, like quite a few of them in King of the Monsters. I have a feeling if we have another installment, I think we're going to get not necessarily a Mecha Godzilla, but some other kind of robot, if I had to guess. So, I don't want to drag this on too much longer. We are, we are approaching Mortal Kombat with this one. Mortal Kombat numbers are dangerous numbers. <laughs> yeah. um, sorry, folks. But um, if, I, if I had to guess... Um, it's, it's actually still up for debate if this series is going to continue... Um, this did feel not necessarily a, kitchen. This has made a lot of money so far. A lot of quarantine money, not not like theatrical screening money though. Like like we'll 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 see we'll see how it all pans out after everything after all the dust has settled. It's doing very very well for sure. Um, but as far as I understand, things are a little bit scaled back because of how movies are screened these days, um, attendance figures and whatnot. Um, but the way this film is constructed it seems like it was done under the assumption that there was a possibility it might not continue because they really don't make too much of an attempt to connect it to previous films. 
Uh, it does feel very standalone-y in that sense. Um, but one thing that happened in King of the Monsters that uh, anybody who's a big fan of Godzilla certainly keyed in on is the Oxygen Destroyer. Oh. Um, so there is a sequence in the middle of that film where uh, the, <laughs> we we get the, the general character who is very, very important in, in Godzilla 2014, who's only in a couple of shots of King of the Monsters. He just like pops in on the radio and says like, hey, so uh, you guys should get out of there because like we shot an experimental missile at Godzilla and, and Ghidorah. Um, yeah, get out of there. It's already on its way. Um, Oxygen Destroyer severely wounds Godzilla, and of course, it's tied directly to the origin of one of his um, one of his villain characters uh, from the '90s, Destoroya. Um, so that is a possibility where we did have the detonation of an Oxygen Destroyer in a previous film. Um, you very easily could revisit that territory and have you know some sort of monster be birthed from the detonation of that missile in a previous movie. But I, I think that's uh, I think I, I think we might have a situation where Kong won't be brought in all the time, although it did seem like audiences really reacted very positively to him. Um, but from a licensing standpoint, I don't know how difficult it is to to have these two characters in the same film. Uh, I just looked on IMDb. This movie apparently has already made its money back. Like it's, it's already it's already made money. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. That makes me very Well, happy. I saw like opening week, like when it first hit uh, HBO, like the, like two days later, like this movie's already fucking crushing it. I'm like, oh wow. Like this is quarantine and this movie's doing well. So I feel like it's going to keep going a little bit. Well, I'm all for it because, yeah. you know, they this, haven't been this movie was incredible. This movie was incredibly dumb, but we still have yet to have a bad MonsterVerse movie. Yeah. And until we actually get a legit bad one, Sure, keep yeah. coming. Yeah, because well, the thing is, is, they can just drop logic at the door. Like, just make it dumb. It's two fucking monsters. It already can't happen. So, <laughs> what's it matter? Yeah, yeah, and and like I said, I think one of the, this film's biggest strengths is that they don't get bogged down in the details. Like I said, that Hollow Earth sequence in most other movies would have people just babbling on and on about science bullshit that really doesn't <laughs> matter anyway. Yeah, <laughs> but in this one, they just let it breathe. They just let you digest the visuals and you know kong doesn't have any dialogue other than a few sign language words and yet you're able I, like i've said many times during this episode you you get in his head you get his characterization just through his body language and his face and that that speaks a lot louder than words especially in international terms like that's that's how you make a movie for everybody is you make it very elemental don't get bogged down in the details of like lore and bullshit like that yeah <laughs> Um, but yeah, this was uh, Godzilla vs. Kong for 2021, directed by Adam Wingard. We talked um, about it longer I'd, than the movie is. <laughs> I'm, probably a lot longer, because uh, it's, like I said, this movie is, I think, under two hours. It's like sub-two hours, Yeah. Um, which, again, that's a, that's really important for the success of this film, I think. <laughs> but um, it doesn't come without problems, though, uh, because there's certain, like, Serizawa, um, the one Japanese character we have in the whole movie, it's significant that he's here, but I don't know what to make of it. It's just there. Yeah. <laughs> um, clearly, it's all on the cutting room floor, but there's not going to be an alternate cut of this movie, nor would I care much to see nah. one. Um, but yeah, clearly this movie was chopped up a little bit in the editing room, but not to its detriment for the most for the most part. 
Um, but yeah, uh, this was our theatrical edition review of Godzilla vs. Kong. But um, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, um, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, we also have a couple social media accounts in the form of an Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as a Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those if you have suggestions for further episodes and whatnot. Uh, and the podcast is available at pretty much any podcasting platform you can imagine. So fucking Google it. Google it. Uh, but that being said, uh, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time.